Turn it on and rip the knob off. Gobble, gobble, everyone, and this is episode 15 of The Grenade, and happy Thanksgiving to all, a very special holiday edition of The Grenade. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, as always, my co-host, he puts the ass in green bean casserole, Steve Ekstat. Welcome back to the show, brother, and happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, you too, man. This is uh, I'm not Jack Victory here. I don't put the ass in anything like he does, but uh, <laughs> thanks for the warm welcome. I didn't say what size ass. But yes, <laughs> pretty fun show today. I'm just hours away from tossing pies in the oven and working on the deviled eggs, so I need some comfort in my life right now, Steve, before an entire day of cooking begins tomorrow. Sometimes it sucks being the chef in the house. Yeah, I hear you, man. I'm, I think I'm going to switch up my plans this year and uh, do it myself at home as well, so uh, I'll be right there in the kitchen cooking as well. And I refer to this as a special episode of The Grenade. You ask, why is it a special edition? It's another in a series of 1989 NWA watch-alongs as we cover the Great American Bash glory days on the WWE Network. And we've spent weeks now watching and reliving the build to this epic pay-per-view, and I feel like everyone involved on the card, they've all done their very best to sell this event. You didn't have to twist my arm, Steve, to get me to watch this one again. I can't wait. We did that clash, that recent clash of the champions. I think it was seven? that we did that you you were really looking forward to doing. And now I'm really looking forward to the Great American Bash Watch Along. Yeah, me too. With all the TV and then you've hyped this show for years to me and it's finally here. We made it. And uh, I, I can't be more excited for something than this. Uh, this is probably one of those, when you go to the drawing board and look at this, it's one of the, the shows you highlight that you can't wait to get to. I'm sure this was like number one on your list, but it was definitely up there for mine as well. Yeah, and if you run around Google and you Google like top NWA, top WCW pay-per-views of all time, this Great American Bash 89 is either number one on most lists or certainly very near the top. And it's definitely near the top for me as well, if not the best overall show. And we'll talk about that as we go along. We got a long way to go. A big thank you before we get started here this week to Mr. Jim Cornette. Yes, the Jim Cornette for retweeting and responding to our tweet that was posted several days back. It featured that insane spot where the Midnight's kind of hoisted Trent Knight up in the air like like it was like ballet as he landed right right into the hands of Dr. Death for that press slam. It went viral, Steve, in a matter of 24 hours or something like 27,000 views, over 1,000 likes, over 100 retweets. That was just in the first 24 hours from the time I posted it. So very cool stuff. Cornette even went out of the way to explain how the spot came about. It's very uneventful, but still very cool to hear him tell the story real quick. He explained that he, he simply went up to Doc and said, do you think you can do this? And Doc just smiled back and said, yeah. And so there they went with the spot and I posted the video. Go to our Twitter and check it out now. It's really, really cool. And also a big thanks to Hurricane Helms, who also wound up uh, tweeting, retweeting the video. I'm sure that helped quite a bit as well. So it feels really cool when we share things uh, that take off on Twitter or social media, not because it's a feather in our cap, but I feel in some weird way, like we're preserving the history of the business, reminding people or, or showing people for the first time, these amazing promos and spots and 
things that have been forgotten to time. Yeah, absolutely, man. And to be honest, that story of Doc, it just fits his personality that we see on TV and from what you hear and read about him. It just fits right in with that. So just awesome. Thanks to both of those guys for kind of helping us out a little bit. And it's even cooler when they respond and you get some history behind what you're posting. It's not just preserving the history. You're also getting the story behind the history. So all in all, just awesome. It's so cool that we can do something like this. And before we get going, I just want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. If you're listening to this on the day it drops, November 25th, Thanksgiving Eve, then you've still got until the end of tonight to follow us for the potential to win one of three free prize giveaways to be announced tomorrow during Thanksgiving evening. It's the Razor Ramon 8x10 WrestleMania picture, signed and autographed Razor Ramon 8x10. He's just he's holding both intercontinental belts in both hands at the top of the letter. Really cool picture there. Another free prize giveaway, the Survivor Series 90 poster reprint. The size is 18 by something like 18 by 24, something like that. Yeah. It's a really cool picture. Really good size poster, and uh, man, I'd really like to have it on my wall. In fact, I do have one on my wall, so it's very cool. And last but certainly not least, it's the Kim Patera McDonald's pack. And what comes with that, you may you may ask. It's an eight by ten autographed picture of Kim Patera during his Intercontinental title phase back in nineteen eighty. It's even got the Grand Wizard looking over his shoulder. Very cool picture, but that's not all. It comes also with a ten dollar McDonald's gift card. And if you don't know the story behind Kimba Terra and McDonald's, Google it and you'll have a little fun with that one. A big thank you to Steve for offering up these three free prizes. Steve, you truly put the giving and Thanksgiving. I try my best, man. Just wait till Christmas. And if you're listening to this on Thanksgiving or thereafter, you can still follow us for chances to win future prize giveaways. I'm sure we'll have something fun coming up and heading into Christmas season, as Steve just pointed out. So you guys just keep following us and tell your friends about us here on The Grenade. And with this big watch-along coming up, we're going to get right into things. So cue up the WWE Network now for the Great American Bash 89 pay-per-view, and we'll be back with the watch-along after these brief but very important messages. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts slated to launch over the course of the fall season. Everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts this holiday season, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. 
On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, a Power Patron tier. All you have to do is subscribe $5 to our Patreon account, where you, as the Patreon, get exclusive access to the Power Hour podcast that we release anywhere from two to four times per month, with the potential for bonus episodes being added at any given time. It's unfiltered, uncensored, unedited, We say whatever we think, whatever we feel on just about any topic. We'll answer your questions, review recent pay-per-views. There's even a little segment we like to call Things Meltzer Said, where we pick apart and debate Things Meltzer Said. All of that, plus other random questions, opinions, and stories are shared here on the exclusive Power Hour podcast. Or, for only $2 more, you can subscribe to the $7 tier, the all-access tier. Where for $2 more, not only do you gain access to the Power Hour podcast and everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive! to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW. Raw vs. Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, the Battles Within, exclusively on WrestleCopia.com. Alrighty, guys, it's that time. Time for another watch along here on the grenade. I hope you have the WWE Network queued up, made your way past that pesky ad before the event, and you're all set to go. Okay, everyone, it's been weeks in the making, but we finally made it. It's time for the Great American Bash 89 Glory Days, the watch along. Featuring Funk vs. Flair, 
Sting versus Muda, Ricky Steamboat versus Lex Luger, and for the first time ever on pay-per-view, it's War Games. Can you believe that, Steve? The first time on pay-per-view, War Games. Wow. So if you're ready, Steve, we'll get this baby going. I'm absolutely ready. All right, guys. So we're going to get ready to count you down in five, four, three, two, one. Press play. Welcome to Baltimore, Maryland, and the high-intensity action of Glory Days, in contrast to the serenity of the thoroughbred farms of Worthington Valley. Here in Baltimore, the Inner Harbor, one of the great reconstructions of a major city in the United States. Then it's to the action in the Baltimore Arena. Let's go there for World Championship Wrestling. All right, here we go. We're kicking things off. I don't know what got me more pumped than all of that. Hearing Lance Russell kick the show off, listening to that old great American Bass music, seeing even the, the, the video, little video clips shown during that opening video, because there's a lot of context put into those video, uh, little video clips. I didn't really notice as a kid. You see parts of the cage match with the roadies and the freebirds and other things they're showing there. And then we hear uh, Jim Ross kicking things off with Bob Cottle. And here we go right away into the opening match. And I, I won't spoil, this is not really a spoiler, but there's a couple of issues here with the uh, WWE's version of Great American Bash 89, Steve. So there's a couple cuts. There's a cut during the middle of the Battle Royal. I don't think you lose a lot, but there's a minute or two cut out of the Battle Royal. And then there's a cut shortly after the Battle Royal as well. We lose a Terry Funk promo. However, the Funk promo uh, it actually screws up on the actual live version, so it's not complete even on the live version either. As the guys come down for this battle royal, Steve. <laughs> yeah, we're in the, holding their little crowns there. I love the entrance here. Uh, oh, the, the, the lights the, are great. The ramp, the, it, ramp, the lighting. It just looks awesome. Ah, Big Scott Hall made it to pay-per-view. <laughs> this is one and only. Yeah, in the is. Ranger, Ranger Ross. Ross. I love it. Love it. Glad these guys are getting a payday. And it's 14 men here in this triple... Crown. Triple Chance, Triple Crown, Battle Royal, Sullivan, Rotunda, Dr. Death, Terry Gordy, Eddie Gilbert, Rick and Scott Steiner, <laughs> Scott Hall, Ron Simmons. <laughs> we got the Steiner brothers, Scott Hall, Ron Simmons, Ranger Ross, Flying Brian, Wild Bill Irwin, and the Skyscrapers. They're not even waiting for Sid and Spivey to get in the ring. Everybody else going at it. And the story here is supposedly... All the men here are in the triple chance battle royal. This is the finals of the battle royal. There's Teddy Long standing back there in the dark. You can barely see him watching his skyscrapers from afar. And the story, and there's the clip. There's a clip already. It looked like the uh, story here is supposedly all 14 of these men won a battle royal at, at the various bash tour house shows. Not true. And that's, this is the finals. All of the winners are here in the finals. And the reason there's only 14 is because some of these guys won more than one battle royal. And that's their story, and they're sticking uh, to it. And based on the random people involved here, some of them already have matches tonight. I believe only four or five of them 
or, or uh, working the Battle Royal solo. They don't have another match here tonight. I'm assuming they probably kind of walked around the locker room and said, who wants to work the Battle Royal? And this is what we got. Because uh, you see yeah. a few guys uh, that, like I pointed out, they don't work again tonight. Ranger Ross, Ron Simmons, and uh, Scott, Hall. Scott Hall, Eddie Gilbert, who only works as the corner man for Sting later. That may be it. The other 10 guys may all have matches. It's kind of odd to see Pillman and Irwin out there. Th- their match is next following the Battle Royal. Did they go back and come back out? <laughs> well, oh, yeah, yeah. They had to. Um, it's funny as hell that Doc got in the ring with his crown on and wrestled with it just to start. Yeah. <laughs> just awesome. Those crowns look I cheap. Like I think they would have done better off coming out with Burger King crowns. They looked like they cost a little more than these, these terrible, terrible. I don't know how you talk some of these guys. I didn't pay attention to the skyscrapers came out with crowns in their hands, but I'm going to go with no. I'm going to, I'm going to assume they did yeah, they, anyway. They did. Oh my! They well, they talked them. everyone into doing it. Then I guess Sid hadn't been there long enough to to uh, <laughs> say no yet. I guess. Well, they walked down. They got down to the post, and then they just threw them on the ground like trash, which is what they are. <laughs> and uh, got the well, wait, wait until I'll you see the uh, the big winner's crown as the uh, the winner of this battle royal will receive fifty thousand dollars. And my big question is, you know, and, yeah. Yeah, go on. Go ahead. No, no, go on, man. I was just going to say, I remember when I, without watching this, without the TV and knowing what's going on, you did, well, there goes Ranger Ross by Ron Simmons there. Um, he's over in the other ring now. But uh, I was like, what the hell's with these crowns? Like, you don't know the backstory or, you know, right. what's going on leading up to it. So they're just coming out with these crowns on. And I get it's the Triple Crown Battle Royal, but it, it never made sense to me. And I always thought it looked ridiculous. And it makes more sense now that I know what's going on. It's like, okay, you win something, here's your crown. You got to use this to cash in to get into the battle royal. So that makes sense, but it still looks cheap and cheap and stupid. Yeah, I that never understood the whole the whole shit. idea of uh, triple chance. Uh, you get one chance in ring one and a chance in ring two. There's the combat kick already. Ranger Ross rocking it in ring number two. And the idea of this match is you got to throw your opponent in order to eliminate them. They have to go from ring one to ring two. First of all, you can go through any rope. You can even roll under the ropes into ring two, and you're automatically eliminated into ring two. From there, you must be thrown over the top rope to the floor to be eliminated, completely eliminated from the Battle Royal until there's one man left in ring one and ring two, and ideally, you want to see those two guys go at it until there's a uh, winner. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't understand the triple chance. I don't – is it – are they considering, like, the individual – battle royals that you do to lead up to this to get into it as you know Simmons Simmons already out he's went through two rings he went through one two and he's gone well Simmons only had two chances so I'm not sure where the where the uh, third chance I don't know I really don't know I think they just thought it sounded cool. they, triple chance do they do the same thing with battle Bowl? do they sell it the same sort of way like not not that I remember three chances at it or I don't I think just so curious because I guess the tag match is your first chance to get into the battle royal and then you got two other chances there, so that doesn't make sense there, but here it doesn't. Poor Scott Hall, Ron Simmons, Ranger Ross. They don't have another match tonight, and they're three out of the first four people over into ring number two. And they're in there with Gordy. <laughs> That's another problem in, in itself. And here's the cut. Yeah. And now we got more guys over there. And make sure Steve and every – oh, there's a powerbomb. Spivey damn near killed, I think, was that Scott Hall or Ranger Ross? Can't tell who he just, just murdered over there. 
I'm telling the fans at home watching this and Steve, you too, keep a close eye on this battle royal because when guys start going out, they all go out within a matter of 30 seconds of one another, like eight eliminations. So, and the camera does a, they pick the worst time to take the uh, camera off the ring. Ranger Ross takes a bump to the floor. He's gone. We're down to 12. Oh, we got a and preview of Wrestle War 91 over there in the, in the first ring. Pillman and Sid, go. the uh, finals. Pillman's and Sid are both very new to the company at this point. And they're, they're the final two men left in ring one. So that's a pretty big deal there. Both Pillman and Big Sid. <laughs> Just <laughs> Pillman was forced oh. to take that bump. I wonder if they try to get certain guys out early. Man, ugly spot by Scott Hall. Dude is terrible. There you go. You got the Coyote and the Eagle going at it. Yeah. Starship flashback right there. <laughs> Spivey taking down. I think if I remember correctly, Dan Spivey does like every one of his finishers to Scott Hall before he throws him out. Hall just letters a power Scott bomb. Steiner's gone. Yeah, there Scott we go. Steiner's Eddie gone. Gilbert, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner. Gilbert, I can't Gordy. even keep up. Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan's gone. Yeah. And they're looking at they're getting rid of like uh, somebody else gets the, dumped there. there. I couldn't even tell. And that's like I said, Scott perfect. Hall. What a Scott perfect, Hall. what a perfect time to do a faraway shot from the aisle way. And there goes Pillman. Ugly. The Pillman bump. There goes Erwin. Erwin not. I mean, it looked kind of. I was I was hoping he was gonna go flying over completely <laughs> over to, to the second ring. I li- I always enjoyed that bump, Pillman eliminating himself. What sucks is here is Pillman's already gone out of the entire Battle Royal. Worked that hard in ring one, and he's gone real quick here in ring two. And we're just like that. We're down to three guys in ring two. So what sucks is the part that's edited out, it's another two minutes of everyone going at it, and that's what really sucks here. So makes the Battle Royal feel a little rushed, even though I think it only goes nine, ten minutes, so it's not exactly, for a two-ring Battle Royal, it's not exactly uh, very long. But... Doc's in here forever, and he has to go to war games later. All all of these men left still have a match. Sid and, and Spivey against the Dynamic Dudes. Rotunda taking a power slam right there. Sullivan against the Steiners. Yeah, Rotunda's teaming with Sullivan against the Steiners in a tornado match. And then, like you pointed out, Dr. Death in war games. So, And there goes Rotunda. Dr. Death <laughs> leans back, and Rotunda just goes flying out. And just like that, we're oh, down to Spivey and, and Doc. In ring number two. And if you notice, Gordy's still wandering around ringside a little bit there. Like, he's waiting for Doc because they, yeah. they got some issues going on. If you guys have been listening to the, to the grenade, you know that. Dang. Doc's just awesome. Yeah, there go, there's Gordy down there. And it was, it, was, it was nice while it lasted for a moment. We had all the former members of the Varsity Club in there. At one time, we had Rotunda, Spivey, and Dr. Death. And now we're still down to two, two former members of the old varsity club, which is no more. Dr. Death just got hit in the ass with a projectile from the crowd there. Like somebody <laughs> threw a piece of paper at him. Looks like Sid's there uh, trying to get in to help his partner. Uh, Rotunda still outside trips up Doc. He's helping the other member of the varsity club. He's playing howdy duty on your coconut. That's right. And there goes Dr. Death out of there. He goes running after Rotunda. It's almost like Bushwhacker Luke at the uh, Royal Rumble. Should Gordy have done that? In one side, out the other. Well, I think they're uh, already moving on to another feud, I think is what they're setting up some things for the future is what we have going on Oh, yeah, that's right. 
I gotcha. So, look what we have here. We have Sid Vicious in ring one, and his partner, Dan Spivey, wins ring number two. Now, theoretically, they have to go at it for a winner here to be determined. Let's, let's hear what Teddy Long has to say. And there's your other edit. I'm pretty sure we're good for the rest of the show. And all you're missing right there actually was they cut to a Terry Funk promo, pre pre tape Terry Funk promo, and he starts to tell everybody he's going to take the glory days and make it the gory days, which we heard repeatedly on TV leading into the pay per view. And the 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 video freezes freezes up, and they have to come back to ringside anyway. So we really didn't miss a whole lot there. And it's just more of the same here with Teddy Long. He won a $50,000. The skyscrapers are going to split the money, although I'm thinking Teddy's going to keep it. And wait, I don't know if he holds it up or not, but he holds it up plenty enough during the skyscrapers match with the dudes here in a little bit. But just, there you go. This plastic crown. And by the time he comes out later, it looks it looks bent. <laughs> it looks more oval-shaped than circular. You're trying to look like competition to, to Vince and company, and you have a, a shitty crown like that. Macho's running around as Macho King close to it, or getting close to it, if he isn't already, with a decent-looking crown, and you're going to come out with that? It's like, come on, guys. Yeah, even Jim Duggan's crown at this point. <laughs> Everybody's crown at this point as they step right. up from... This is, honestly, it's embarrassing. I would have... I, whoever was in charge... Yeah. Well, yeah. That was like a princess crown. Like, like Taylor Long is playing princess makeup with his daughter. He has to wear that or something. I mean, that that's terrible. I'll tell you another thing that's terrible, and I'm very glad that we are able to mute the show at this point. Throughout the duration of the show, several wrestlers come down in in the real life Great American Bash, the live version, which I am thankful that I have my original copy on tape from pay per view so I can still enjoy this in its original version. But here on the WWE Network, a lot of these guys come down to real real songs. For instance, Brian Pillman here comes down to Rocket by Def Leppard. They can't play that, so we get generic music over that. What sucks about that is then we hear some guy who sounds absolutely nothing like Gary Michael Capetta doing the introductions, and it just kills the whole thing for me. And they do the same thing in several other matches, and it just ruins really the whole show and I get the whole point of, well, we don't have rights to real songs, Def Leppard, or later on songs by, you know, Wipeout with the dudes and other songs, you know, throughout the rest of the show. But at the same time, I'm not only am I not getting the real themes, I'm not even getting the real ring announcer, just some generic guy doing the ring intros here. It just ruins it a little bit for me. The, 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 doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't sit well with me. I just think it has... I- I wonder if they just have like a single line audio and the audio from the music is tied in with Capetta. So like they can't edit the music without editing him too. Well, it's, it's funny. You mentioned that as these guys get going here and Pillman's going to, I'm looking for a head scissors. There we go. Nice move. Takes Irwin out to the floor. Funny. You mentioned that because in the first two matches, we get a phony ring announcer do, doing the introductions for the dudes match and this Pillman match here. 
Match number three, or four, sorry, because Battle Royal was number one. What's Pillman doing to do here? Baseball slide in 89, really nice looking too. Good bump by Irwin. But nice. match number four is the tuxedo match. And obviously, Paulie's Halloween theme is dubbed over. Jim Cornette's Midnight Express theme is dubbed over. But Gary Michael Capetta's voice can still be heard. So none of this makes any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. I, I've never been a, a big stickler when it comes to that stuff. I don't really care about audio. I, I just want the perfect quality video. The audio, if you really care, can be fixed um, <laughs> and redubbed as we've seen before. But um, I, I just want best quality possible. I'd much rather have fake music and generic ring announcers over 900 tracking lines and shaky video and dubbed over 30 times over. So uh, I think it's an even trade. I know I'm, I know I'm in the minority when it comes to that. I know most people are very stickler with the audio. Well, I live this, Steve. So it's it's, it's, it's uh, it does it's not it, it takes it away from me a little. It takes away the uh, nostalgia feeling a little bit for me here when I'm trying to rewatch something. <laughs> That's all. And I thought it's you know what I thought. Around. Another thing I thought was really cool here because we're not e- we're not even 20 minutes into the pay per view. And we've heard Lance Russell kick the show off. On commentary, it's Jim Ross and Bob Cottle, and Gordon Soley's handling the interviews backstage. What a group of announcers. Yeah, just, just insane. It's crazy um, how stacked they were. It's kind of like when we watch those uh, Coliseum video watch-alongs, and WWF has Howard Finkel and Gary Michael Capetta in the same building together. And uh, it, it's initially at the start of the year it wasn't very good it wasn't a strong suit for the nwa but by heck by july they got it figured out uh it was a huge loss with tony Schiavone, and um they've, they've rebounded quite nicely <laughs> nice side slam there by Irwin. of course pillman really assisting in that but it's making Irwin look good instead of Irwin making him look good really uh, i remember this match. i know it's a bill Irwin match and he hasn't had too many good matches here in the NWA since, since he's come here in 89. But I remember this as being a pretty tolerable, pretty good match. Obviously, Brian Pillman involved. And this is uh, Flying Brian's really his first big time to shine here on pay-per-view. And they give him this match just to look good here. And you'll see the same thing again in the next match here with the dudes in the skyscrapers. Just some bonus matches, really bonus content to get over some of your, your talent you're planning on pushing here in the coming months. So good booking to fill out the show. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the best opponent for Bill Irwin. <laughs> uh, for Pillman, I should say, not Bill Irwin. Uh, best opponent for Pillman to look good, because Irwin, all he knows how to do is punch and kick, and that's about it. That's the equivalent of his offense. So I don't know how many favorites he's going to be doing Pillman tonight, but Pillman is Pillman, and he'll get something. Yeah, I mean, out of it. so far in this match, Pillman's looked great. I mean, even in selling, and that's really the key here, how well he can sell, you know, Bill Irwin's offense. Let's talk a little bit about the pay-per-view yeah. real quick while we're killing some time here with Bill Irwin on top here on the offense. There, we're in Baltimore, Maryland at the Baltimore Arena. Show draws somewhere between 12,500, 13,000. It's uh, considered a sellout, which is pretty cool considering some of the issues they've had selling tickets to recent shows. Of course, this is a pay-per-view, not just your typical house show. Now, in regards to buy rate, we go back a year to last year's Great American Bash, 1988. It drew a 2.2, which was a 
approximately around 190,000 buys. We fast forward to Starcade 88, it went from a 2.2 down to a 1.8, 150,000 buys. So things started dropping. And then the George Scott era, uh, we saw Chi Town Rumble drop even further down to a 1.5, 130,000 buys. And even worse, by the time George Scott was gone, Wrestle War 89, all the way down to a 1.3 buy rate, which was the equivalent of 120,000 buys. The good news is things are back. Things are going back up for the NWA here. It looks like I'm, I'm reading this as I'm talking. So it looks like they're do, pulling in a 1.5 to a 1.6 here. 140,000 buys. So things are trending up. It's a start. It's certainly the best of 1989 thus far. So that's a good thing for the NWA. Yeah, definitely. I'm interested to see uh, how far up it goes for the rest of the year. I mean, uh, they made a promise on TV leading up to this show that they're not going to show any clips or highlights of the. Um, oh wow! Of the paper. Oh, what a what a job done there by Pillman. Um, and I, I ain't gonna lie, I, I skipped ahead a little bit. I watched a few episodes, and they they're holding true. Like really, the only thing you see on this TV coming up is the like a video package of the entrances um, with the elaborate stage and you know pyro and and some of the things that they do that we'll talk about later. Uh, and that's all they show. And um, so they're holding true to their word and making you pay to see this stuff. And they deliver on a hell of a show. So I, I'm interested to see where Halloween Havoc lands. Uh, I know it's a new pay-per-view first time around, but um, they need to carry the momentum. I'm interested to see if they carry that momentum and uh, continue that trend. It's going to be interesting to follow. Yeah, I remember I remember it being a very hot summer. I know once Ric Flair comes in or takes over, I shouldn't say comes in, takes over as head booker here in August, uh, ratings do continue to grow. I don't know necessarily rapidly, but they do grow. So it will be very interesting by the time we get to the September Clash and the October Halloween Havoc pay-per-view to see what the NWA is doing by that point. Pillman out to the floor. I think Bill Irwin's really been holding his own here. I know it's a lot of basic offense, but for what Bill Irwin's been so far here since he's come to the NWA, this hasn't been very bad at all. And I understand Pillman's making him look great with all these these bumps and things, but at least at least we're avoiding these uh, long chin locks and things like that here. At least it's uh, been pretty boom, boom, boom by Bill Irwin. Yeah, it definitely has. And uh, is... <laughs> what a bump there by Irwin. <laughs> oh, There's Lord. those drop kicks. Oh my goodness, man! It has to be the best dropkick in the business, right? At this point, I'm not going to argue that. I don't know who's challenging him. Even Muda's isn't that good. Muda just does like a front kick. He just makes all his stuff look different and awkward and awesome. That move right there is weird to me, but it's cool. That almost looked like a damn sling blade, and the Warrior Splash gets a two count. Yeah, that's the sling blade in 1989. Not as elaborate as it is today, but it just goes to show how great Pillman was and how good he could work. And it's going to the top. Brian be flying. He's going quite a ways. I'm going to call <laughs> missile dropkick. Well, I was half right. <laughs> it was an Ooh. attempted missile dropkick, but Irwin out of the way. Nice bump by Pillman. Let's see if Bill Irwin can capitalize here. Hit that shitty bicycle kick. Sitting him on the on the stomps here. <laughs> oh Lord, Irwin looks like he's put on a few pounds since he's came into the NWA. 
Oh, he's got paychecks now. Yeah, he's, he's eating good on the NWA money. Irwin's a big dude. I mean, I don't think people realize that. I, I don't even know if I realized that at that time when I was a kid. But as I got older, I realized how much taller and bigger he was than I had remembered him as a, as a kid. I, I just, uh, I don't know. He's just a bigger dude than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. I will say, do you think, you think Pillman... Oh, throws the, him. <laughs> throws him into ring two. Yeah. Nice bump by Pillman yeah. here. I think we got a pretty good yeah. spot coming up here. Yep, yep. Nick Patrick forcing Bill Irwin back into ring one. Pillman going up top in ring two. Oh, he slips. Be careful. Be careful. That's a long way to go. Oh, nice. Nice. Nice crossbody. Crossbody cross from ring two to <laughs> ring one and we're our first singles match into the show, and somebody's already utilizing the uh, secondary ring <laughs> to do a spot. Good stuff there by Brian Pillman. Bill Irwin's pissed off. He's got his whip already, but he's not going to use it here tonight anyway. Bill Irwin 0 for 2 on the pay-per-view here at the Great American Bash. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you think Pillman, after his injury, realized he couldn't wrestle like he used to and decided to go full full-on character? to get himself over. Cause it almost not, seems like that's what he did out of necessity. Well, you got to do what you got to do. Let's listen to Gordon Sully here. He's probably dangerously. They're moments away from a tuxedo match. Cornette, you realize the only way you can yeah. win the match is to strip his tuxedo from him. See, that's what everybody's been telling me to win the match. This to win the match that I am not concerned with winning this match that's the point i've been trying to tell everybody i don't care if i win i'm here for one reason i'm gonna take jim Cornette out o-u-t out because you see in 1986 i was a photographer and i saw jimmy Cornette fall off a scaffold in star cave and i saw his knee come completely out paid off his doctor and i know one thing jimmy Cornette. Your knee is not recovered completely. Your knee is still in bad shape. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact that you're wearing a knee brace. You are not ready for this match. I'm going to take you out, my man. I'm obsessed with your demise. I've done everything I possibly can to prepare for this. I've been living dangerously all my life. I stand on a beach when a hurricane comes in. I've leaned over the top of the Empire State Building. Hey, I've even hired Rob Lowe as a babysitter. I'm ready for you, my man. I'm ready for this match. Win, lose, or draw. They're going to have to call me the greatest manager in wrestling. Because after tonight, my man, you'll never be able to walk again. You're going to be hopping around like a Vietnam veteran. Well, some very hard words from Paulie. Dangerously, Jim Cornette facing a man now. Ah, uh-uh, where's my booze? And back to ringside. Thank you, Gordon. Oh, man. That Rob Lowe got me. That was funny shit. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, we get lucky here for once I, I don't mind the editing because the dudes come out to generic music rather than wipe out by the beach boys and the fat boys jason hervey was originally announced former uh, child star of the wonder years and future butt buddy of eric bischoff uh he was originally announced here by gary michael capetta so that he could introduce the dynamic dudes he's in the ring right now introducing johnny ace and oh this is one of my favorite Segments of all time, Steve. I, I, I have to watch this. This kid. This, this child. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Kick him like a dog. Watch this. This is great when they, when they try to get him to do the, 
the dude saying, like, I don't know what's going on. Oh, my God. Does that kid in his outfit not scream 1980s? Those shorts up to his <laughs> ass and the Ghostbusters shirt. and Just tremendous. My nephew looks like him. <laughs> I remember watching this and uh, I took a picture of him and I sent it to my sister and she was like, I was like, that's my nephew there. I, I'm not going to give his name away, but. Uh, There's Jason Hervey. <laughs> she's like, yeah, yeah, I seen him down at ringside helping with the, uh, the announcing desk when Pillman landed on the announce table. Uh, kind of unplugged something. He was helping him down there. So I, I knew he was, I seen him down there, but. Uh, I didn't know he was supposed to call out the dudes. <laughs> Trash. That's yeah, so I, I don't mind that we missed that introduction. Yeah, I, I was never... That. What's that? I, I did like the fact that Paul Lee brought up the knee on Cornette because we did talk about that uh, last episode. Right. How Cornette got hurt uh, yeah. one day before the show. Yeah. And so um, Paul Lee come making up... I'm sure he made up that story. And I don't know if he was there or not. No, but, uh, that's just awesome. That's great yeah. work by Dangerous. Now look, there. look at this crown. It's uh, as he gets closer, you'll see that it's been. If I, yeah, there it is. You can tell now. <laughs> it's more oh, yeah. egg shaped. And this is where I would love to have played the audio to listen to the introduction of the skyscrapers coming out to their music. But again, generic music overplays, and Spivey goes after that fan there. They're not here to screw that around. Was close. Yeah. That dude probably shit his pants. Yeah, the, we almost didn't get this match here. Spivey almost <laughs> found himself uh, sent to the back. <laughs> in a lawsuit. I think Sid would have handled this match just fine by himself. I'm, I'm sure he would have still gotten the win. In fact, this match is quite insane. And there's a few spots in here. I made marks, that, if I remember correctly anyway. I'd love to try to play the audio. You won't believe how loud this crowd gets for Sid. These guys have only been teaming. For a few weeks, Sid's only been here less than a, less than six weeks. Meanwhile, the dude's been pushed down our throats for several months now, and they're just not getting over to the point where the crowd's starting to revolt against them. Yeah. And what's really You're funny about, about man. there it is. Look at that piece of junk. I can't believe he brought it back out. We, Winning it in the Battle Royal and bringing it back out later are two different things. We never see it again, I'll tell you that much. That I remember anyway. Oh, my God. Spivey's been in the business long enough and done enough by this point to say, get that shit out of here. <clears throat> Sid and Long may not want to lose their spot, but Spivey doesn't care. He could have said something. Well, Sid's not losing his spot no matter what he says, I'm thinking at this point. Well, we all know Sid can't lose his spot no matter what he does <laughs> or what he's involved in. He just has that look, man, that, I, that you wish you were born with because you'd be in the same dang spot as him. And the fans right now are giving it to Teddy Long chanting Peanut Head. The chant has caught on. I believe the camera even, yeah, the camera even goes over top to show off Teddy Long's beautiful Peanut Head, that bald dome of Teddy Long. <laughs> And Teddy's just shouting into the camera. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I remember correctly in this match here, Dan Spivey, I don't know if it happens right away, but eventually once he does tag Sid in and tags him out, every time he tags uh, Sid in, the crowd goes nuts. Every time Spivey tags back in, the crowd starts booing. They just want Sid. And you'll hear we want, we want Sid chants throughout this match as well. I'll try to pick one of them up. And it's loud. It's some of the loudest stuff on the entire pay-per-view. 
it's crazy how much this Baltimore crowd loves Sid. Not this, not necessarily the entire Sky. You can't really ooh and uh, you can't really help but ooh and ah some of the stuff Spivey does to to Shane and Johnny here as well because he takes some liberties. Look at that no sell the dropkick. A Johnny Ace, who's a pretty tall dude himself. I mean, it's not like Shane Douglas yeah. was throwing throwing that dropkick. Oh yeah. And I know we have some uh, issues here at the end of the match in regards <laughs> in regards to some of the the moves ha- having some trouble being executed, but I don't remember a whole lot of problems early on. So I do remember Spivey beating the crap out of these guys. I don't know that Sid's in a whole lot until, <laughs> but uh, just wait for wait for the uh, the noise made when Sid comes in. Spivey just all over Johnny Ace. And the dynamic dudes, it's so funny. They come in after, uh, I don't know if they were in before Wrestle War or not, but they come in, they get 80 videos made, slides between legs, look at double drop kick, and Spivey still no sells. A double drop kick. Well, there's that Wrestle War. They beat the SST. That's right. Was that, that was the- their big pay per view. Yes. Yeah. They just debuted like the week before or something like that. I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. Close line in the corner. Oh, <laughs> my God. Does Shane eat a boot? <laughs> Ah, it's great. Shane's selling it like a million bucks down there too. Took it, took it. It was awesome. Yeah, Shane, probably because he He's got hit in the nose. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. Well, they didn't. Oh. nice recovery though. Oh my God. <laughs> Johnny oh my Ace God. does a cartwheel on his head. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I wish I knew what was wrong with the dudes. Uh, the, I know the gimmick's stupid. These guys didn't buy in, but it just makes you wonder if they got shot to the moon and they had all this pressure on them and they just weren't ready. That could just be the common denominator. They're just not ready for this spot. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got to look at it one thing. Uh, they were out there. They're supposed to be surfers, uh, skaters. They don't know how to do any of those things. That's not what they are. Yeah. And then on top of that, their timing just never seems to get there. And Spivey comes up with a clothesline. Let's, I think he's getting ready to make a tag. Oh, he's going to make a tag. Let's listen to this. Johnny Ann with that clothesline. And Randy back into the corner. Slamming his head into the foot of Big Sid Vicious. And the crowd ready to see Big Sid. Six feet nine, 316 pounds. Double axe handle blow. Sid Johnny down to one knee. Boy, what a jewel in the crown it would be of these two young men if they could knock off this big team right here. Especially after Spidey and Vicious won the two-ring battle on right. the 50 grand. And the crowd is behind. Do you hear that crowd from <laughs> just chopping? Johnny Hayes, he chops him, and the crowd gets immensely louder. It's insane. And it only, it only gets much, much better from this. That's, that's, just, that's just take number one. It just gets louder as the match progresses. And you know Sid's is gonna he's gonna eat it up. He's not oh, gonna he, not sell it. No, he he's, does. He's buying into yeah, he hypes him up even more. He, he's yeah. he's forgetting the gimmick and everything. He's he's enjoying it and you can see it. It's just it's pretty cool. Yeah, and here comes Shane Douglas back into the ring here. He's Shane got a white spivey up. No, no, Shane's he's been good. pretty good on his own. I think he might have worked out and worked. Boss man slam. Boom. Listen to this. Side slam as Spivey caught Shane in midair like he was a rag doll. 
he's in trouble now. When the big man stands over you and you're hurt like this, you know what's going to come. They got him hurt in the back, and they're going to stay right with it. They're going to pound and beat on him. That we want Sid chant. It's it's almost like it's as loud as you would chant for a main eventer that's been around for years. It's yeah. insane. Nice razor's edge there. Uh, it's it's crazy. What has he done? That's what I was going to say. They really saying. haven't done a whole lot at this point. A lot of their matches on TV, they really haven't showcased what you know they would become. So for him to be as over as he is here, Spivey's the one that does all the moves. Uh, thus far, yeah. I mean, anyway, in, in the matches. So it's just, I guess it's Let's the look. Him. Look at Teddy Long. As, uh, Joey Styles would say with Joel Gertner, he couldn't kill a cockroach with those, with those stomps. Unless he, unless everybody remembers him killing Dwayne Bruce. Uh, I don't know what the heck Sid's done leading up to this that would warrant any sort of reaction like that. But. <laughs> Teddy Long's out there working the softest kicks in the world. Sid comes up behind Shane and just gives him a... a a toe. He hits him with his toes right in the spine. And I don't think Shane, and Shane sells that from Teddy Long. I think he thought it was Sid because he got kicked from behind and he sells it like he was shot. <laughs> and, it, and it winds up being, he turns around and it's Teddy Long. He's like, ah, oh, shit. Suplex back into the ring. Nice looking move. But it is. Yeah, Sid always, for whatever reason, whether he's good or bad. Well, here we go. Base, here whatever. we go. This is it right here. This is the one. He's taking a pound. Here comes the big man. Bigger man, I might say. One of the biggest men in all of sports. Sid Vicious walks right in at clotheslines. Shane, they're not an ounce of fat on Vicious. At 6'9", 316. He's a man of a man. And I tell you, he's got all... This is a heel who's been... He's a heel, first of all, number one. He's a heel who's been in the company like six weeks. And he's this over. <laughs> like, what the hell, man? And he's hamming it up, too. <laughs> it's awesome, dude. And like, like I was saying before you switched to the audio, I don't care if he's heel or face. He's always been over. No matter oh, where yeah. he's been at. Even in that dreadful million-dollar corporation shit, he was still getting pops from fans on Raw and pay-per-views and things like that. And... uh I don't know what it is about him, man. I really have no clue. It's obviously the look. It's just different. And but he hasn't even started talking here yet. So I don't I don't it's weird here, but ninety four, ninety five, I can kinda see why, but man, here I don't know. And in general, that I look. mean, to be honest, the fans are popping as the dudes are just getting destroyed either even by Spivey, some of the moves Spivey hits. I think even when Spivey Spivey's the one's gonna spoiler alert, get the win here. I think I remember the crowd popping pretty big at the, the pinfall, too. Drop Shane Douglas in a backbreaker. It just this makes is... you wonder if like they see Sid being so reckless and they don't like the dudes. <laughs> so they want Sid in there to just beat the hell out of these guys <laughs> and do the things that he's been doing to these jobbers. It just, it, that, that could explain it. Spivey <laughs> misses the head, but I think we're getting the hot tag here. It looks like Shane's working his way over. Nope, nope. Come on, between the there you go, between the legs. That's how you do a hot tag right there. Only thing he was missing was the Morton roll. Johnny Hayes tries to come in with a drop kick, but Spivey's not having any of it. Sid's not having. Oh my God, he took that elbow to the jaw though. (laughs) Sid Sid ducks out of the way of the hot tag. 
Good God, man. Are they going into business on their own, or is this how it's supposed to be? I'm sure it's a little bit of both. Nice clothesline. Spivey actually left his feet for the first time in the match, I think. <laughs> Kicked him in I'm the just, mouth. I'm just Orton punt to the head there. And remember, Johnny Ace is working. Remember, Johnny Ace is working with a broken cheekbone. So he gets kicked right in the face by Sid because Sid gives no fucks. And there goes Ace or uh, Shane Douglas out there on the apron. This is not pretty, if I remember correctly. (laughs) All the skyscrapers. Sid doesn't even want to bump for his own partner. (laughs) They don't want to bump for anything. And a drop kick, and Sid drops to a knee. There he goes. More selling than we see. And Spivey going to take a hip toss? Oh, my God. Oh God. Who called that spot? It's almost, as if, it's almost as if they heard the crowd reaction like, dude, we're not doing shit for you guys. Sorry. Ace tries to get up for a head scissors, and he can't make it. And boom. Oh, oh man. It's, it looked rough, but his head bounces off the canvas. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Let's Poor listen to this. Ace. Let's listen to this. Oh, <laughs> oh man. What a dumpster fire for all the right reasons. That was tremendous. I loved every bit of that. That was great. <laughs> oh, like this guy's back to him at the end there. He's like, I'm going to jump early and make you look stupid for not selling any of our stuff. <laughs> Teddy Long taking his new, well, Gordon Sully in the back with Jim Cornette. Let's listen to what Jim Cornette has to say in response to Paulie Dangerously. Oh, he wants to cripple you. Well, let me tell you, so you know, Paulie Dangerously, he's done his homework. He was exactly right on all his facts. At Starcade 86, I did get knocked off that scaffold, and I did blow my knee completely out. I suffered a torn anterior cruciate ligament. I underwent surgery. I was in a hospital for a while, and I still have to wear a brace because orthoscopic surgery couldn't repair it sufficiently. So you've done your homework right, Paulie. But I'll tell you this. This is a chance for me to prove myself. This is a chance for me to get some satisfaction, not only for myself, but for all those people across the country who would like to take one of these and put it upside your head, and that's why I don't care. If you break one of my legs, I'll come hopping to you. If you break both of my legs, I'll crawl like a belly, like a reptile on my belly to get to you, Polly. Because I want some satisfaction. You've tried everything that you could think of to take my place in the NWA. You've copied my men. You've copied their moves. You've copied my dirty tricks and my cheap tactics. You have tried to take my place. But the only way you'll ever take my place, Polly, is when I'm six feet under. And if you want me there, you're going to have to put me there yourself. You ain't man enough to do it. And I'm going to prove something right here. Because if there's one time in his life that Jim Cornette needed to get physical and needed to win a fight, then, brother, it's right now. And I'm going to get at everything I got. And part of it's going to be for me. But part of it's going to be for all those people who have supported me. And after all the things that I've done in the past has said, Jim Cornette, we're on your side. I'm getting out of here. Well, all right. We're going to the ring, and let's hope it's not the end of the career for Jim Cornette. Let's go to the ring. Pour me another one, Pettacino. Back to ringside. And here we go. This is the tuxedo match. Cornette dangerously. I, you know, it's these guys do these work to shoot promos so much. It's really clever, like you pointed out earlier, of dangerously. Uh, mentioning going back to Starkey at 86 and the scaffold bump that Cornette took where Bubba was supposed to catch him, and he didn't. And he wound up blowing out his knee, and having you know that injury basically permanently for the rest of his life. And here, uh, I, we mentioned this on the last grenade in passing, just uh, when I was doing the Bash Tour results. The night before on the 22nd in Philadelphia, 
Cornette was involved in a match. He was just a manager there. I think it was a six-man or something along those lines involved uh, the Midnights and Dr. Death and things. There was some kind of a spot going on, though, and Cornette needed to get out of the way. And the only way to get out of the way in a hurry was to jump off the apron to the floor. And when he landed, his knee went completely sideways. And as he put it, he tore, tore all the cartilage in his knee. And so he got back to the hotel room. That's the night before this pay-per-view now. And his knee had swelled up. It was awful. He wound up icing it the entire night. And then the very next day, he wound up coming in. He, he had it wrapped uh, all the way down to the point where he said he's surprised he didn't. Look at this. NWA is number one. Somebody stinks. I'm not sure who. It's, it's bleeped out or blurred out there. But and watch Cornette. Now watch Cornette walk here. He's trying to hide the injury. He's gritting his teeth. He's limping on that leg. It's, it's bandaged up so tightly that he says he can't believe he didn't get gangrene. Uh, he said he cut the circulation off in his leg just so he could make it to ringside. He said back then wrestlers didn't really use pain pills, and if they did, they didn't bring him to the shows. It was something they took after the show. So he had to scrounge around the locker room and ask for a Vicodin, ask for a Percocet, anything he could find just to make it through this match. He refused to tell the higher-ups, just how bad this injury was. So Cornette's working here on one leg. He can't put any weight really on it to do anything beyond what you're seeing right here, walking around. And so going into this match, he told Paulie, I'm going to get at you first, as we're seeing right now, and then I want you to cut me off and take your phone and start beating on my knee brace. Don't beat my knee, but beat my knee brace because I got the brace on over my, my, my knee. And immediately, here's Paulie with the powder. You'll see Paulie begin to clock him with the phone on the wrong knee. And then in the middle of the, uh, <laughs> the tussle, Cornette's yelling at him to change knees. Change, you're hitting the wrong knee. So Polly has to switch knees, and we'll see that here in a second. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's funny listening to Cornette tell the story, and then you're actually watching. You know what I mean? It's, pr- it's pretty cool. Yeah, you, you can see the brace there. You can see it through his pant leg, how bad it is. That's crazy. I mean, you know, it's Macho, like we talked about, he wrestled Mania 5 with the, the staph infection, tightly bandaged, and just went out there. This is a long-standing feud. And Cornette, for all his faults, is one, one, really one of his one redeeming qualities is that he loves the business so much. And uh, he's not going to shortchange it. And he's not going to, you know, half-ass it. If, he, if he's going to be out there. He's going to do it right, and he's not going to let something not be finished. So um, hats off to him for gutting it out in a match that, you know, it's kind of – it is important, but it's it's two managers, and the show would be fine without it. Right. But it, he went out there and did it anyway, and uh, his leg be damned, you know. It, it's just cool. That's really cool. And for those curious, this feud started all the way back in October when Paul Lee popped up on NWA TV straight from the AWA with his version of the Midnight Express. And that was the feud that started this all. It was Paul Lee and his Midnights versus Cornette's and Cornette and his Midnights. And that went on through February or so, March of 1989. And Paul Lee switched over to the SST. The Midnights wanted to take, uh, wound up taking a hiatus from television. And they've returned here. And this feud hasn't really ever been resolved. So we're resolving it finally. Cornette and Polly dangerously this many months later. And they just wanted to make sure there was a payoff. And I, I give them both credit for that. And what's really funny here is if you listen to the commentary, which we're not, the first half of the match, I guess Bob Cottle and Jim Ross prepared to do a comedy bit for, for this match, not realizing that these two guys were going out here to, to have a real fight. They didn't want to do the uh, comedy thing. In fact, I think Cornette told the story that Kevin Sullivan was on the booking committee at the time or something along those lines. And 
he said something to Cornette right before they went out, like, uh, you know, you know, two managers, make sure you do a couple comedy spots. And that's just not what they had in mind here. And you, you'll watch that as this match plays out. And it's funny. If you listen to the commentary, Carl and Jim Ross realize that at some point, and they shift this over to, to treat it like a real fight. And that's kind of cool too. Uh, it just tells you how good they are. And Cornette yeah. crumples. Bob Cottle and Jim Ross are two of the best, and having them together it has to make the producer and everybody else's job so much easier knowing oh, yeah. that they're out there doing their thing. That's one less thing they got to worry about. And that's and, something uh, huge. You know, it's, it's, Vince is all over it nowadays, but that's something huge when you, when you got guys out there you know you don't even have to keep an eye on or keep a, keep a leash on. And for those wondering oh, yeah, why these guys are out here wrestling in tuxedos, the, and this is, if this is your first ever tuxedo match, because we don't get a lot of these nowadays, the object of oh, this God. match is to strip your opponent down to his underwear. And that's basically how you, you win the match. And there's really no rules to a tuxedo match. It's right there, if this were a few years earlier, Cornette would have bladed as he goes headfirst into the post. <laughs> And I know it was common sense, but it was really wise, obviously, Cornette immediately to try to play off the injury by doing a couple moves to Paulie first, but then going right into a spot where Paulie takes his leg out so that he has an opportunity to sell the injury that he legitimately has. Yeah, that, that, that's just, that just goes to show like Cornette knows the stuff and he knows what needs to be done and he can call a match. He can work a match. He's not. I think you talked about, I don't know what episode it was, but you talked about his punches and how he, he can really throw a great, a great punch. Yeah. And, uh, there's still, there's still guys that now that can't even throw a good, a decent punch and Cornette's a manager and he can do one in this spot times that he has to do it. And, um, that's because he cares. So, uh, just, just awesome stuff. It really is like, I would not expect this from a manager match. No, this, I mean, not that there's a lot of uh, manager matches out there, but the ones that are never typically very good. And some of those, though, you know, you get guys like or managers that used to be wrestlers, like a Bobby Heenan, you're going to have a good match. These guys were never wrestlers. Yeah. Look at Cornette. Look at these punches. They're almost Jerry Lawler-esque. And Paulie with the backflip. So I always love that bump from Paulie. Yeah, it's awesome. He's not doing that sell job nowadays. Oh, no, absolutely not. It's kind of a shame that these do these guys really hate each other still, or is that uh, all work? I think they don't get along necessarily. I, I don't know. I don't think he's one of those guys that Cornette wants to see, you know, uh, where he claims he wants to piss on their grave or anything like that. I think he just he doesn't get along, but he certainly shows his respect for Polly. He still admits he's the best talker right now in the business, and you know he knows okay. he knows how good Polly's mind is. Uh, now in regards to as a, as a human being, I don't think they get along. <laughs> uh, that was a bad bump by it's both guys. But... Yeah. Polly going, with, uh, uh, we might be going, leg. going into the finish here. Both guys have, well, Polly's lost his shirt and his suit jacket. He's down to just his pants. Really. He's took his own cummerbund and tie off. Not really wise there. Polly going for the powder again, kicks it in his face. <laughs> Paulie go great spot. <laughs> Paulie goes down, and here we go. I see, I see the blue, the blue underoos. Hey, I got that color underwear. Paulie goes running off. I love the comedy spot. Watch when he jumps in the air. This is great. Woo hoo! <laughs> Paulie dangerously loose. <laughs> K 
Could you imagine Polly dangerously running away in his underwear today? Oh my God, I wouldn't want to see that for anything. Well, I wonder if that spot is almost a, a knock on WrestleMania Five with Brother Love hightailing it out in his underwear. Let's show you how it's really done. <laughs> Cornette looks gassed and relieved that this is done. And Jason Hervey handing him the cell phone and the uh, other's tennis racket, which Polly's been sporting the last few weeks. Spits on both of them, throws them down. Jim Cornette, the winner, and he's holding his tennis racket high in the air. Fun match, and I think we're we're basically out of the way of the, uh, this is the slow part of the pay-per-view, you know, the gimmick matches, the Battle Royal, the manager's tuxedo match, a couple of matches to get some of the new talent over, flying Brian skyscrapers. We're starting to move into the the bigger matches on the card, so to speak, which makes sense. The money matches. Yeah, we the start progressing matches. in the... We progress into the bigger matches on the card. Up next is the Steiner brothers taking on Sullivan and Rotunda in that tornado tag match. But up first, we have a uh, Gary Hart promo, I do believe. And if you didn't see it the first time, we're going to see it again. Polly dangerously in his underwear running away. How's that for your comedy here on the Great American Bash? And we'll go back to Gordon Soley. With us, the great mood is not with us now. Gary Hart says he doesn't want his concentration broken because, of course, the television championship is coming up. World TV title is probably only second to the World Heavyweight Championship, which Terry Funk owns at this time. But I'll guarantee you one sting, sting. As good as you are, and as much as you love that title, remember, the Great Muda is undefeated. And the Great Muda is the best that the Orient has to offer. And today, right here in Baltimore, throughout the world, the world will know that Japan, when it comes to the best athletes, they do possess the best guard. Is he in top shape? Muda is ready willing and able at the present time he's in meditation he is calling the powers of the mystic orient into his own being thank you so very much gary hart tag team action upcoming in the ring so let's go back to the squared circle gordon soley has done a great job as announcer here and i don't i don't ever shit on anyone like i love sean mooney i grew up on sean mooney but he was more of a prop. You know, he just stood there. He asked his typical question and let the guys, you know, bust out his promo. And Gordon Sully's acting, I don't know, it's just more realistic. Like, it's very sports-oriented yeah. questions. He just, it's great to have Gordon Sully back and back in a role like this. Because so far, I think all we've seen him on are the WNN segments on Power Hour. And now here he is on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing awesome. It just gives that big fight feel to all the matches, really. Uh, with him asking those sort of questions, like what's he doing now? Is he in the top shape and, and and things like that? It's just ways to enhance it, kind of like what you talked about last week, where a, a guy cut a promo and said we're just hours away. Saying things like that just makes us feel like it's uh you know it's a it's a game, it's a sport, a real sport. We're just hours away from tip off, or we're hours away from our match, things like that. Or he's meditating, he's getting in his right frame of mind, kind of like what a a player would do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's that time of the show for the Steiner brothers, and they're led to the ring by a, their pit bull and Missy Hyatt. That's definitely not a pit bull. That's a, that's a hound there. Oh, I, well, it was a pit bull last time he came out with a dog. Sorry. You're right. You're right. I, didn't, <laughs> I wasn't looking at the dog. I was looking at... Yeah. That dog's trying to get at every fan. <laughs> but, oh, Lord. Missy Hyatt rocking the pink there. 
Yeah. Don't Great. expect many wrestling moves in this. I, I they might throw a couple suplexes. There's the Steiners, but I don't spe- I don't remember a whole lot of wrestling going on here. This is the <laughs> Scott Steiner shakes the ropes. He's the warrior. Yeah, Rick Steiner and oh, Kevin Sullivan. Here we go. Oh, no sell the chair shot like we saw on TV. Great stuff. <laughs> he just starts blasting them. This is great. Jason, Jason Hervey jumping the guardrail, getting the hell out of the way. Oh, Lord. Poor Michael Capetta, man. I think he's up on the rail getting jacked up too. Oh, man, that could not have <laughs> felt very good. Rick Steiner Ooh. gets crotched on the railing. Rotunda and Scott Steiner uh, in the ring. So we got we got action both ways. They, they yeah. chose a terrible spot for that commentator's table. My goodness. This uh, feud's been going on plenty long enough at this point. Look at that. Oh, my God, right into the table. Really cool stuff. They haven't bothered to clean the powder out of the ring yet from the last match. And Steiner just throws the whole table at Sullivan. Oh, it's good stuff. I know there's a great Steiner and Sullivan spot coming up here before the finish. I can't wait for that. Look for a, a sunset flip spot, Steve. It's uh, You can't miss it. It's, it's really good stuff. It's kind of cool. I know they... On the grenade, we've, they've talked about that Boston Garden street fight, and uh, they're kind of giving us an, a, an example of what you'll see on the Bash Tour and other street fights. But yeah, yeah this is a, a, probably a condensed version here. Probably could do a little more on the house show they can get away with here on the, the pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. I love that Rick and Sullivan are doing all the, the brawling, the tables, and Steiner, Scott just took a bump to the floor. The tables and, and the steps and things, and, and Scott and Rotunda are in the ring doing wrestling moves, and there's the write-off. Nice. I like this singlet here by everyone here. Yeah, rocking the uh, Syracuse colors tonight. That's really cool. It does look good. I'm predicting a power I'm trying to remind everybody. Oh, I was wrong. Yeah, this is kind of close to Baltimore there. I started to say that, well, they're, I think we're getting a belly to belly. Oh, that was dangerous. Looked like Scott. Oh, oh. taking him to the corner. This varsity club esque feud has been going on quite quite a long time now. Rick's been babyface since 1988. Rotunda and Sullivan are still together. Nice power slam, but they're no longer the varsity club. The Wolfsteiners go for a pin there. At least we got it all back in the ring now, so we can kind of see what everybody's doing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, man, it's kind of unfortunate we don't see these very often anymore. Oh, he just got dumped. Um, I know a lot of the gimmick matches, like table matches and things like that, where it's kind of just all four wrestling oh, at the same time. <laughs> what a kick. But these tornado tags are really cool. Yeah, they're real fun. And I, I love that, you know, obviously Sullivan's involved. So immediately we corpor- incorporate the hardware on the outside into the match. And really cool for 1989, certainly. Yeah, you just didn't get a lot of them back then. I think it's a really fun way to have a tag match. Yeah, and, it, and it's a great way to end this. Singlet, it's a great way to put a stamp on this feud and call it a day. And now so both too. both no heels go for a cover. No shenanigans, just get it done. Yeah, and everybody move on. Hopefully, here we go. Watch this spot here with Sullivan and Steiner. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've never seen what that done fun. again. I, I Rick Steiner every time he wrestles, it's something new. How do you come up? With this many spots, and they're not just comedy spots; they're they're awesome comedy spots. Oh. He tries to sunset flip Sullivan. Sullivan won't go down, so he starts headbutting him right in the nuts. It's just great <laughs> stuff there. 
only only Rick. I think that's it, man. It's just Rick Steiner. Nobody could have made this gimmick work for as long as he did, just constantly coming up with something. I'm sure he had help. I'm sure Sullivan, he was a great mind. I'm sure he gave, well, look at that. Scott yeah. Steiner just backdropped himself. I don't know that Sullivan and Rotunda touched him. He shot up about 10 feet in the air all on his own. And also, think too, Scott. Oh, Scott man. Came, oh, it's like a cot or something. Like a stretcher. Yeah, a stretcher. Yeah, stretcher. <laughs> bounced it right off his head. The mass unit stretcher looking thing. Oh, I think Scott coming in really, really enhanced him a little bit too. Uh, oh, I think he's go. feeling that lull, and then Scott came in and boom on top of him. One, Ooh. two, three. That's it. That. That's it. It's over. Four minutes, forty-six seconds, just like that. I'm surprised Scott Sullivan signed up for that spot. <laughs> yeah, to actually have to take a bump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he had to do the job. He ended up on his back somewhere or another. And there's another lovely look at Missy Hyatt. Table's broke. Oh, man. As the Steiner brothers get the win here. And Gordon Sully backstage with hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert and Sting. Sting getting ready to take on the great Muda. That's why I'm keeping it toned down a little bit right now. Normally, I like to go nuts even when I talk to you. First time for me and you, Gordon Sully. Eddie and the camera, everybody here, I just can't stand still. It's hard for me to stand still, but I know that I got to keep everything inside of me because I do have a lot of respect for Muda. He's got a great style similar to mine, and I have a lot of respect, and I'm just going to keep it together and stay serious and head to the ring right now because it's coming up. Eddie, I got to go. I'm serious. I got to get this thing going. Gordon, I, uh, I, I kind of know what he's feeling right now. I've been with him for three hours now. We've been sitting and talking about this. This is just not a last-minute thing. Sting is up for probably the most biggest match of his career, the most important. I've seen him since the beginning. The only thing I've asked of him is tonight, let's see the best Sting has, because I, like him, have a lot of respect for the great Muda. But the guy I don't have respect for is Gary Hart, and I'm going to keep him out of the picture. Let's see who the better man is. Fair enough. Well, that match is upcoming. So, as the glory days continue in the Great American Bash, let's go back to the squared circle for this World mm. Championship event. Don't mute that introduction, Steve. No, you don't. I, mean, I love that music. I'm so glad they didn't have like that generic, stereotypical Japanese music that WWF has. I mean, that was just awesome. I I just love Gary Michael Capetta the way he calls Buddha's entrance. It's phenomenal. It's probably easily one. Of, and look at Sting rocking these colors. Really cool tights here. I, I like the colors on Sting here tonight. Oh yeah. 
He looks great too. I love that promo to buy it from him too. He didn't. It's on what he's been saying, but he's so pumped up and so fired up for this match. But he's also it's like a, a nerve, a nervousness about him. And I thought he did a great job of getting that across. Like he's just like, I'm done. I'm ready to get out here and get this match going. Yeah, and Sting's uh, come a really long. Good. That was a really good promo. Sting's come a long way since January when he was just goofing off and having fun. Here in July, he's the television champion. He's wrestling the Great Muda in one of the top four matches on the pay per view. He's number three, I think, in the rankings. So yeah, yeah. man, it's uh, or maybe number yeah, number three in the rankings. It, so yeah, it's three, just uh, Luger and Steamboat. And they've been planting the seeds for the last couple of weeks of Eddie Gilbert doing a heel turn here on Sting. Gilbert has not been accompanying, accompanying Sting to ringside up until just this last week or so. He talked his way into this match, promising to help Sting offset Gary Hart at ringside. And I and you have to imagine that the original plan here was for an Eddie Gilbert heel turn on Sting. But at some point, uh, the week of this pay-per-view, things changed, plans changed. And Eddie Gilbert winds up playing a non-factor here. I don't even remember him really getting involved in the match. He's uh, it's almost invisible at ringside. And Sting obviously would wind up uh, going into a completely different feud. And watch this spot here. Amazing. My God. He cleared that and got the crossbody looking perfect, man. Just amazing. Just incredible how good he was until he got that injury, man. That injury, it didn't derail him, obviously. But it took away a lot of a lot of what made him so damn entertaining. I'd almost liken it to Stone Cold Steve Austin. What a tremendous wrestler he was before he got the injury, and then he had to rely on you know gimmicks and things like that. Not that Sting ever was that injured where he couldn't work, but he certainly no. didn't have the leap ability. Oh, Muda with the handspring. We when was the last time we saw that handspring elbow? Muda waited, saved it for the pay per view to bust it back out. Here comes the backbreaker, Steve. You know what that means. This is over. And he slits his throat just like he did on TV. It's moonsault time. It's over. Sting's done. One, two, he got him. No, no, he didn't. He landed on his feet. Look at that no sell to spin kick. I thought that would have been an awesome finish, to be honest with you. I would have bought it, too. Just caught him out of nowhere with the moonsault? Yeah. Obviously, if he had hit it, that would have been a nice plancha to the floor by Muda. Oh, that was great. Yeah, and you go to the Sting injury, like, he may be not getting up six inches on the drop kick. It's maybe four and a half, five. So, so that's kind of like what you're seeing. But man, like that explosiveness was just very few guys had. And, and that that's what got robbed from him. That, that uniqueness that only him and maybe a couple other guys had at the time. And it's unfortunate. Muda busting. Obviously had a great career. Muda busting out pretty much every move he hasn't been using on TV for the last month or two. Reminding everyone that what, what he's capable of. We've been waiting for it, and we, he pays off. It pays off right at the beginning of the match. Sting. It looked like Muda might have been trying to go for something. There. Sting with a clothesline instead. That's by design. That's just that's next level thinking. I don't know who idea that was, but that was great. I, I love the idea that he stopped doing things. Whoa, Sting! Sting pulls a Ranger Ross there. <laughs> a Ranger Ross. <laughs> He's been talking to Ranger Ross in the back. Leaps, I think Muda was too far away. Sting looked like he was going for a, yeah. the old Undertaker dive there, but Muda was just too far away in the aisle. Sting has to <laughs> call an audible, land on his feet so he doesn't land on his skull. He covered yeah, pretty yeah, well, though. He went right into right into the offense oh, yeah. on Muda, though. Yeah, he did. He was thinking in there. He's not just goofing off. 
a dude in the <laughs> ring doing his thing. <laughs> Just goofing around, according to, what, February Sting? Yeah, he's come a long way in the last half year. I can't believe we were that far into 1989 to be able to say half year. Oh man. Wow. I can't either. Great mood. Like, just, Gilbert's uh, not even anywhere. I don't even see him. That's what I said. He's almost in. It's like they told him, no, we're not doing the heel turn anymore. And he, like a pouty baby, he just said, well, that's fine. I'll just stay out of the camera then. So nobody even thinks about me. That's what I remember about this match. Where the hell's Eddie Gilbert? And he is out there because he's out there at the finish. Yeah. He doesn't get involved in the finish, but I remember, I remember him being out there. So it's, it, it really is weird that the whole story was Gilbert was going to be out there to offset Gary Hart's interference. Really? I don't really remember Gary Hart interfering. And if he did, I certainly don't remember Gilbert getting involved with Gary. So it's just, it's unfortunate that the storylines changed. I would have loved to have seen, Hot stuff, fireball sting, or sting get into it with Gilbert because uh, sting getting upset, Gilbert's getting uh, going to cost them the match or something, get get him disqualified. Yeah, that'd, Gil- awesome. that'd been a great feud. That would have been a great feud between those two. The storylines, you know, would make sense at this point. Gilbert's been misted. His girlfriend or wife, Missy Hyatt's been misted. He obviously wants revenge. He's already tried to fireball Muda once. There's a shot of Gilbert at ringside there. It just felt like... I why they... Well, you you kind of know why, because you see where Sting ends up after this pay-per-view. He's pushed much further up the card than in, than in a Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert feud. Eddie Gilbert basically just kind of slowly, <laughs> slowly works his way down the card after this, unfortunately. And I think a lot of that was by design, simply because he got a higher role in the booking committee. He was needed in the booking committee a lot more, and they didn't really want him to be high up on the card, which is kind of hypocritical considering Ric Flair takes over the booking committee, and yet he, you know he's in the main event. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I guess Eddie Gilbert's no Ric Flair. Hey, he's gone soon after this. What September? I think is what you said. Gilbert. I don't. Is- I know it's the fall. It's September, October, something around there. I know. I know Gilbert gets the boot from Ric Flair. Something about Gilbert was in control of one of the house shows because he was the booker that was actually there at the show, and he changed his match to where he won. He was supposed to lose to somebody underneath. I don't, I don't mean a curtain jerker, but just somebody underneath. And they were in Memphis, and Eddie didn't want to lose in Memphis. And so he simply changed the finish to where he won. And Flair really didn't understand the whole Memphis thing or that Eddie Gilbert was supposed to be big in Memphis. He just took it as Eddie going against what Ric Flair wanted. And Flair just had enough by that point. So obviously there had been some other issues. And he just fired him just like that. That stinks. Yeah, because Eddie was yeah. quite the mind at the very least. If you weren't going to use him on TV, he would have made a great manager and certainly a great booker. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's just a matter of egos clashing. I think that's the other thing, too. Eddie's been, I'm sure by this point, he was a booker a few places by now, hasn't he? I think he had his hand in some things in the Mid-South. I know he worked, uh, did some booking in Alabama shortly before this so, run or maybe after. No, here's another handspring. He misses this time. Oh, nice. Sting. I, I just, Firing up. Hot. Yeah. 
Man, Bulldog. Very few people can do it like he does. What a sell job by Muda. I love the way he was like breathing heavy while he's doing that rest hold. I was like motorboating. Right, right. <laughs> so to speak. It, it, it's just one of those things that Muda did that was different. Like most guys don't want you want to see you like get him breathing heavy and things like that. Whereas he's just sitting there breathing all different. You just almost think, okay, he's doing something else to channel the mystic orient that Gary Hart talks about all the time. It's just one of those things. Here we go. It's going for the mist. Oh, mist. Right into Nick Patrick's face. Now, how is that not a disqualification? You tell he just misted the referee. Intentional or not? It's an accident. Stinger splash. Misses the stinger splash. There's no referee. What do we, we only have two referees on the show, don't we? Tommy Young and Nick Patrick. So it'll be interesting to see if Nick, Nick Patrick ever returns here. Muda going up for the moonsault. Oh, and he hits it. Nice. Clean two. One, two. Sting kicks out because Tommy Young's just a little late on the count. Saves the moonsault from being buried there. Eddie Gilbert rallying the fans. It's the first time he's done anything in the match. Muda misses that big swinging front leg round kick, according to Eric Bischoff. Back suplex, two, <laughs> three. Now I know I saw Muda get his shoulder up there. Sting breeds bridged up high enough to keep his shoulders up, too. We're going to have to see what happens here. But Eddie Gilbert celebrating like Sting won. Gary Hart raising the hand of the great Muda. It's almost uh, the dusty finish here. <laughs> Nick Patrick now back in the ring, but he can't see anything. I'm curious to see if Nick Patrick referees again here tonight after taking the mist. It looks like Nick's already halfway recovering from the mist. That's another issue I have at this at this point. But I, did Tommy Young hand, hand Gary Hart that belt, or did, did Gary Hart take that belt? Muda leaving with the belt, the television title. Now, I can verify that Muda got his shoulder up. I saw that playing his day. I know we're going to take an instant replay look here. So we'll see what, what it looks like from Sting's end. Tommy Young explaining something to him. He's not, he's not telling him Sting's still the champion. So at the very least, it looks like Tommy Young's declaring Muda the winner. I won't leave anybody in suspense because the announcers do. I don't even know if the announcers know what the hell's going on here. I think. Gary Capetta even screws up and announces Sting as the winner. Nobody really knows what goes on. And by the time the pay-per-view concludes, we still aren't told the, the finish of this match. The only thing that ruins this match is the finish uh, because there's no definitive oh. winner. And here we go, an instant replay real quick. And then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll spoil the finish for everyone. I'll let everyone know what the decision was. But here we go. There's one. There's two. Sting's left it's arm completely off the mat. So really, both yeah. guys shoulder off the mat. Nobody pinned anybody. Neither one of their shoulders were down for the entire three count. So Tommy Young declares Muda the winner. However, uh, we do learn as we go backstage, Gordon Soli and Lex Luger. I'll let this play without the audio. It's just a repeat of Lex's uh, recent promos on TV, so nothing to see here. But I believe the decision is the title winds up becoming vacant. They hold the belt up, if I remember correctly. Or do they keep it with Muda? Yeah. Do you remember? They hold it up. Yeah, that's uh, what like I thought. I, said, I, peeked up, I peeked ahead a little bit. 
Gary Hart's cutting promos, holding the belt and saying that he has it, and uh, but the NWA held it up. So I don't know what exactly happens with it. I don't know if they just do a tournament or why. I can't remember how it gets settled. But I guess it's a creative way to get the belt off Sting without having him job considering where he's heading. And um, it keeps Muda strong too because it's almost essentially a draw. And uh, you want to see it again. But I don't think we ever do. Not in a one-on-one situation anyway. And if anybody's wondering what Lex Luger was talking about there, it's just uh, more of the same. The NWA dictate the rankings, but Lex Luger is going to dictate the type of match he has with Steamboat here as he makes his way out to the ring for this United States Heavyweight Championship match. That Sting and Muda match, uh, barring the finish, very energetic, very uh, fast-paced. I I really enjoyed it. I want to see it again with like 15 extra minutes on it. (laughs) That would have been... I could see them doing a heck of a story and a heck of a match with, if they had more time. And look who gets herself back on TV after multiple weeks of... It's your favorite. Yeah, Bonnie Steamboat back out with Little Dragon. We haven't seen her, and it's been a blessing. Say, Steamboat's moved away from that whole family man thing. Yeah, he has, but I love the fact that he got the little man his own matching uh, outfit, man, boots and all. That's cool. And here comes I mean, Steamboat out with the... It would be cool to hell to have that as, a, as an adult, you know? Oh, right, yeah, right. I have a matching suit with my dad. That'd be cool. Man. So Bonnie's holding the little stupid. dragon, and Ricky Steamboat's holding the big dragon, carrying a Komodo dragon to the ring here. I don't, I don't know how comfortable Ricky was carrying this thing. This is not something you want to carry and walk around with unless you know what you're doing here. As Ricky Steamboat gets the uh, Macho Man treatment carried out, by I'm not really sure if they're job guys or who's down there doing the walking, but Steamboat's having to stand. It looks like a plank. It's not a very yeah. wide, a very wide board to stand on. As he makes his way out, and the the Komodo Dragon's obviously a fan of demolition there, as it wears leather and spikes <laughs> to the ring. Right. This isn't the first time he's done the Komodo Dragon bit. He's done it before, so I'm sure he's comfortable, but. This is this is shit. I get you're on pay per view and it's a big match and uh, looks like he has a bunch of young dragons carrying him out or something like that. People yeah. maybe I don't know, but he's been cutting these awesome, awesome promos where he's pissed off at the world, and then you bring your wife out, your son, even though I like it with the matching pants and jacket and boots and all that stuff, and you're coming out on a plank with a dragon and. It just kind of kills the whole, I'm so pissed off at the world yeah. that you've been trying to push, and you want an ODQ match, and you're, you're over all this. Wow, this was, a and, pay, this was a payday for Bonnie, is what I, the way I feel is the way to get her on the pay-per-view. I'm sure she's getting paid a few bucks just to appear, and hey, she's on a pay-per-view. Seems like a Bonnie idea to me, because you're right, storyline-wise, they've been really putting over ever since Luger's turned, uh, turned on Ricky Steamboat how upset and pissed off Steamboat's been. He's been cutting these raging pay-per-views. We finally saw him even come out and work a squash match where he, he didn't show any, he wasn't smiling, he wasn't celebrating with the fans. He came straight to the ring, did his job, and left. And now here we are, he's coming out, and it's, it feels like we're back six months ago. And the only thing that sucks about this entrance here from Luger is the, the wheel that he's spinning on stuck. Look at him try to move it. 
<laughs> so he he realizes it's broken sid does the same entrance i think it's in 1990 might have been 91 and it just looks absolutely amazing when sid does it at one of the clashes so it's unfortunate it doesn't work out there for luger on that spinning turntable almost looks like a, a greek god or a, a statue and it just gets stuck halfway through the funny thing about this is we've been going on weeks now steamboat's been begging for a no disqualification match here and for weeks now, Luger's been telling him, absolutely not. And what does Gary Michael Capetta do? He announces this match as a no disqualification match. And Luger comes out to his surprise. This is a no DQ match. And Luger will actually get in the ring here. And he will inform Steamboat and the promoters of the NWA that if this is a no DQ match, I'm walking. I'm not doing this match. Apparently, he can just do that. And so they, they wind up speaking with Ricky Steamboat. We'll actually see the promoter, Gary Juster, out here. And... <laughs> What a sight he is here, 1980s nerd all day long. <laughs> and he'll he'll wind up telling Steamboat, look, man, we, we've we've got to do this one-on-one note. Uh, the, the no DQ thing, it's got to be waived. We've got we to gotta have ourselves a regular match here. Luger's walking. There won't be a title match. Yeah, I think this is just a way to put some heat on Luger. Well, I do know the plan was to take this match and work into no DQ matches on the house shows and possibly a later pay-per-view. There's Gary Juster right there with Luger. Luger's telling him, I'm walking if this is no DQ. There's Doug Dillinger standing there. <laughs> He's been there forever. Yeah. But uh, I think the plan was, uh, based on the finish of this match, was to take this feud and move into no DQ matches. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't work out because... This, my friends, is the last time you'll see Ricky Steamboat in the NWA, at least in action, at least in live action. Uh, I don't know if something was taped before this that winds up making air on TV beyond this in the ring, but uh, Steamboat leaves after this pay-per-view. There's some uh, issues in the office. They're not necessarily really far apart on money, but Steamboat's version of the story is they agreed on. They finally agreed on a number, and right before he signed the contract, they lowballed it by fifty thousand dollars. Wow! So you gave up all this for fifty k? I guess that's a lot of money in nineteen eighty nine. But um, well, he gave up I all this like because I think there was a lot of Bonnie Steamboat involved too. Well, I get that too, but I mean, it, it's probably her then who gave it up. Like, no, you ain't. They gave you a number. You accepted the number you was about to sign, and then they take 50K from you. She's probably like, no, you're not doing that. And here we are. I was really shocked to hear. So I, recently, I recently listened to the, that Jim Hurd interview that he did with uh, Conrad Thompson, and I was really uh, surprised to hear that Lex Luger's wife at the time was very much like a Bonnie Steamboat, in which I don't want to say she controlled Lex Luger, but she certainly had – uh, a big voice in making decisions for whatever was going to happen with Lex Luger here financially and otherwise. So that that was uh, very interesting to hear. I, I hadn't heard that before. I'm not surprised. That's a book I really need to read. I need to read Lex Luger's book, but um, this match is starting off hot. Yeah, fast and in, they're, they're getting right into it, man. And the crowd is hot. That's that's the one thing everyone is missing by us doing the watch along is you can't hear this crowd and this crowd is it's an amazing crowd from 
the beginning to the end of the pay-per-view. We'll, we'll listen here. Great condition, as is Luger. High elevation. Steamboat elevated him. Steamboat won his first U.S. championship in 1977, his rookie year. Ego or no ego, Luger already knows he's in a... They spill to the floor and the crowd gets louder immediately. The one thing I do remember about this match is, like many of Steamboat's matches with Flair, as the match wears on, the crowd starts to favor the heel. There's more applauding for Luger than Steamboat by the end. wonder why that is. I think it's just the gimmick. That too, I think Steamboat's just too goody-goody. I'm not saying that, that they shit all over Steamboat, but they just, they're yeah. just more into the Lex Luger gimmick. And what a knee lift there. It's, Great spot. Yeah, it was. It, it just seems like it's, I don't know, it's really weird. And I don't know if Steamboat ever doing anything that would turn the fans off, but man. Oh, did you miss those first several months of that whole family man gimmick that oh. basically killed him? You've well, never seen him do anything that, that would turn the fans on him? <laughs> oh, besides that? Oh. Besides that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just talking in general. Like, it feels that way. Like, I recently watched WrestleMania 3, and when he came out, or when Macho came out, Macho was getting one hell of a pop. I mean, Steamo got his fair share of a pop, too, but it, I don't know if it's necessarily what he does. It's just the way his matches are. Like, he forces his opponents to go long. You have a a 25, 30 minute match, and you know, you just buy into what both people are doing, and you just well, appreciate what you're seeing. So it's like, you know, you, they become split. Like, okay, yes, Steve great, but look, look at, at the names you're, you're mentioning, though. You're talking about the Macho Man and Ric Flair. These guys have major personas themselves. They're yeah. going to be over with the fans, and even Luger to a lesser degree, and certainly. Lex Luger here in this here, yeah. heel, yeah, this heel character here in 89, just tremendous promos and <laughs> mannerisms and things. So I can yeah, see why it, it was cool to like these. Steamboat just got lumped in, you know, against every cool heel there was. Morocco, Jake the Snake Roberts, Randy Savage. Then he moves over here, gets thrown in here against Ric Flair. So I think that's one of the issues <laughs> poor Ricky Steamboat uh, wound up dealing with. But it certainly didn't hurt his uh, ring work any. Oh, no, absolutely not. And the promos, those guys are carrying it on the promos. I think outside of the the Macho Man feud where he had to do the fake voice and the larynx thing where he could barely talk, I thought he was solid at that. And he did his part there. But um, for the most part, the heels are carrying the promos. And promos is what makes people like you. I don't – to me anyway, I mean – they could have a great match, but if they could, they don't know how to talk. It's, they're going to get boring rather quickly. I need some substance behind it, and Steamboat never does, clearly doesn't have that. <laughs> but I was. I thought I thought it feud. worked with the Flair feud. I thought I thought um, by yeah. the time they got to the ring, you forgot all about the shitty promos. It was just the matches were just that good. And Luger here in '89. This might be the best body of work in the history of Lex Luger. Is the if you're going by year. Here in 1989, he had great stuff with Barry Windham. He's really coming off some good matches with Flair in 88. And now he gets pegged to work with Steamboat, which unfortunately it comes to an abrupt halt here after the the bash pay-per-view. But, oh, watch this. Here we go. I remember right after this roll-up. Let's let's take a listen. Breathing fire. 
Look at that sell job and listen to the crowd, man. Luger explodes with those clotheslines. Steamboat on an amazing sell job. There's like two women that are about five rows back on the hard cam. They're right there. She's flipping him off, dude, giving him the double bird. There's a woman right next to her doing the exact same thing every time Lex Luger looks over in that <laughs> direction. That. Yeah. I, I don't every know, man. Time. I, I'm I'm completely focused on the, on the ring right now. I, <laughs> I, I don't I, I haven't seen them, but I totally believe it. They're oh, not fans of Lex Luger, man. Top, and then there's a there's a white top, a lady in the white top right next to him. Oh man, Tommy like, Young, everything. you just you just cost Steamboat some offense there. Tommy Young grabs hold of Steamboat's arm. He's laying into Luger in the corner, so Luger takes a cheap shot. And Tommy Young runs away. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. You know, nice I'm just, like that's he's getting some heat, man. That's oh what yeah. I'm saying. Oh, the I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that are, aren't fans of the current Lex Luger. Just, <laughs> uh, just because <laughs> most of the stuff he's saying, he he really believes. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, he loved it. He was enjoying himself. And how could how could you not, man? You turn heel and then like, oh hey, you're going against Ricky Steamboat. Well, like sign me up. I, I would. That's what you would want. If he was going to make a turn, uh, you wouldn't want to go with some lower level guy or some guy that's not very good in the ring. Give me Ricky Steamboat, and you're gonna, you're really gonna push that hill, that hill gimmick over. Yeah, Steamboat not only you know guaranteed a great match, but on top of that, probably the best babyface sell, you know, seller in the world. Yep, and you're also gonna look like a million bucks on the mic because he's not gonna sound very good. But this time he actually <laughs> by default. His weight. Yeah, Luger's actually care. Oh. <laughs> funny looking I mean, neck breaker there. Done a pretty solid job too, but yeah, that was that was ugly. You don't say that very often on a steamboat match. We've still got two big matches coming up after this. And Luger, well, <laughs> he oversold that. Luger goes for the clothesline. Steamboat drops down, and Luger launches himself. I'll give him that much. At least, at least he tried to make it look good. He made it look too good. <laughs> But Steamboat's been cutting some great promos going into this match. Obviously, he wants revenge. Luger turned on him, for those who don't know, at the very end of the last Clash of the Champions match. Uh, Steamboat had just wrestled a match with Terry Funk. Luger comes out to what what we thought he was running Funk out of the ring, but really, Luger winds up turning on his friend Ricky Steamboat. Luger, of course, upset that he's ranked number two as the U.S. Heavyweight Champion, and Ricky Steamboat is ranked number one when typically the U.S. Champions rank number one. And Luger upset, obviously, Steamboat, the last world champion, so he's still ranked number one. He hasn't really gotten his rematch with Flair. And Luger turns on his uh, his friend, because Luger's only real friend is the man in the mirror. And I don't mean Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> he just barely put his head down to go underneath that. <laughs> I love these hope weird. spots here by Steamboat. Steamboat made hope, even the hope spots look great. You thought he was making a comeback every time. He's going to oh, yeah. slam. Oh, it's a flare spot right there. Luger gets slammed off the top because Flair's a baby face now and he can't really do the bump. So Luger's going to do it for, for him. Yeah, you, every time Steamboat does the hope spot, you're just like, is this the comeback? Is this the comeback? Nope, not this one. <laughs> not this one. I think Steamboat's hope spots were just uh, 
there was a lot, they were more, more cerebral. They weren't your typical comeback spots, you know, and that's why it always looked like he was getting ready to fire up and then boom, right back down. And there's the chop off the top rope. Usually the setup prior to the crossbody block. So we might be getting that here soon. Lex against the ropes. Something bad's about to happen. <laughs> Backdrops. Oh, man. That was a not, oh. <laughs> not a safe bump. Steamo could have dislocated a shoulder or something there. Lex backstrops uh, Ricky Steamo from one ring into the next. That didn't look good. It didn't look like it was going to be very good. <laughs> but Steamo saved it. And now Luger just wringling his hands like that. That's awesome. Like Now it's time to get nasty. Well, it's uh, it's not a no DQ match. So if Lex is going out here for, for a chair, or yeah, there he's grabbing Capetta's chair. He's trying to intentionally get disqualified at this point, so so he doesn't lose the belt. Genius by That's the champion. That's why I didn't want no DQ. And this is what he did to Steamboat when he turned on him. He clotheslined his face off and then hit him from behind with a chair. Steamboat, oh, catapult spot coming up here with the chair. Oh, nice. Lex holds the chair the entire time. Great bump by Luger there. He holds the chair spot. the entire spot. I'm surprised he do not do it. Spot very often. Oh, he shoves Tommy Young. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Cross the chest with a chair shot. Tommy Young. Well, that's that's got to be a disqualification. Now, now he whips Tommy Young to the floor. Now we have no referees left in the NWA here. We're going <laughs> to see Bill Irwin back here out here as a referee now. Oh, Lord. Steamboat holding the chair. He's going to kill Luger if he hits him with this. Oh, Luger takes it to the back, and it's Steamboat throwing the chair <laughs> shot, so it's, it's he's doing it a little lightly. Slow as so. Oh, yeah. He's not. He's making sure nobody gets hurt here. couple chair Marker shots to the ribs, too, ball. and they're out to the floor. I got to ask, man, is Capetta getting paid hazard pay? Because, my God, every match he's had to get up out of his seat, watch out, Something's coming flying at him. I love that Luger was bouncing from rail to rail there just so Steamboat could keep hitting the rail as Luger moved. And as he chases Luger off, Dave Meltzer, uh, apparently the Meltz attended this pay-per-view live, and he says what we miss here in the replay is Luger's, and I think this sounds pretty cool. That's why I'm even mentioning this. Luger sneaks out like a sneaky heel. He sneaks back out behind Steamboat there on the, uh, on the top of the ramp. But Steamo catches him, and he whacks Luger a couple more times with the chair to send the fans home happy. I thought that sounded funny. I, I wish we had gotten that instead of the replay. Oh, that would have been awesome. It would have been cool to see Luger do uh, This spot, I'm surprised people don't do this very often anymore. It's just really cool. I don't I, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I mean, I think maybe Sean or, or maybe Hennig would have pulled it off a little faster. Luger, to his credit, did is, did it as well as really you can you can do it, but I just don't know that I can suspend my disbelief enough to believe that you're going to hold the chair in your hands as you get taken down, as you catapult, as you land in the corner. I mean, I guess I can. And here in 1989, and as a kid, I know I could. And I guess I'm really shocked that Luger made it look as, as good as he did. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that spot kind of turned into the bouncing off the ropes and back into your face deal. I think that's a little bit more believable than doing a the catapult slingshot into yeah. The, yeah the catapult right into the chair. Really solid match. So Luger 
wins on a disqualification. So it really worked out in Luger's favor there, just like a heel. And so this was honestly to lead into no disqualification matches on the house shows. And obviously, probably at some point we would see a a payoff on maybe Halloween Havoc, maybe the uh, next Clash. But instead, no, none of that happens because this is Steamboat's last night in the company. So that's really unfortunate because that was really, really fun. And I would have loved to have seen a rematch between the two. Yeah, me too. Just stinks, man. Some of the stuff we're missing out on because, you know, things change and people leave. Man, look how great the birds look. I'll give them credit here. They look awesome with the Oakleys and uh, the garb here. This promo goes on seemingly forever, and the only fun thing, if, if you leave it on mute, and you don't have to listen to Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes do all the talking, if you just watch Samu and Fatu have to kill like three minutes of promo time doing this nonsense. Now that's, that's fun. <laughs> the stuff they have to come up with here for like three minutes, like nonstop Simone goodness uh, throughout this promo. So if you just tune out Michael Hayes, well, handsome duck, and listen to the Samoans, or watch the Samoans, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's a pretty good promo just based on Samu and Fatu and the, their goofiness. But uh, it's it's time for war games, Steve. Five on five. The storylines have been going on for weeks now. The Midnights have had their issues with the Freebirds. They went to the finals of the World Tag Team title tournament. The Freebirds stole the belts from the Midnights in the finals. Terry Gordy has his issues with Dr. Death one-on-one. And then the Samoans and the Road Warriors, they, they've had plenty of issues. And all five of these guys you're looking at right now, they just took the Road Warriors out inside a steel cage on the Power Hour, and Hawk went out on a stretcher. Yeah, the build to this match has been really good. It's almost felt secondary until that Power Hour. Like, I, you didn't really know who was in War Games until that Power Hour cage match, and that's when it really took off and um, made it one of the top matches on the card, to be honest with you, just through that one angle. Uh, who the heck sends Hawk out on a stretcher to the hospital? That, like you never see that. You've never seen that leading up to this. So um, that one angle got me ready to go, and then the Animals promo right afterwards really sold me. But uh, Samu trying to eat Fatu. It's not quite Thanksgiving yet, boys. <laughs> Look at these two. They're just having fun. I don't know how they're not breaking character at this point. I guess that's why I I bought in to the Samoans as a kid. I just, <laughs> I just sold it to the end of the, to the end of time. <laughs> and Hayes is still going. I don't know if it's like almost a rib on the SST here. You guys just keep doing your thing until I'm done talking. It's Michael Hayes. He's never done talking. And as fun as the SST are there, I can't wait for the next promo. Wait until you see Dr. Death. And there's the cage. Oh, Look at it. The cage has been lowered. It's time for War Games, man. I'm so pumped. I haven't watched this War Games uh, in quite a long time, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's been a long time for me. I never understood why uh, this match was the War Games match. Because, again, I just watched this pay-per-view. Just to watch pay-per-view kind of just uh, as pastime as a kid and things like right, that. Right, there was, there was no uh, context to it. You just saw 10 guys going no at it. In the, right. Yeah, and normally you think of, uh, no knock on any of these guys, but I don't buy like the heel team at all as, as being in this match on paper. You know, with the feud and everything, great. But Steve, um, keep you keep your eyes out for 
Keep your eyes out for Doc here while you're talking. You can keep talking, just keep your eyes out for Doc. <laughs> it just, it, on paper, just doesn't seem like a, one of those normal War Games matches that you're accustomed to that you see like on the 85 to 86 and those with the horsemen. And... Super Doc! <laughs> one more oh time. One more time. <laughs> Super Doc! I love it. <laughs> Dr. Death is flying there because he's he's hunting free birds. You get it? <laughs> I thought it was <laughs> pretty funny watching Doc do that. He says he's a bird crusher and he's coming to crush the free birds tonight. But yeah, go go on, man. I just I I, I always love that uh, spot. <laughs> Wait, there's still the dude skateboard. <laughs> oh Lord. That was awesome. But uh no I this Without context, this match doesn't seem like a lot on paper, but uh, with the context, I'm, I'm really, really excited for it. Let's hear what the Road Warriors have to say now that Hawks returned from his injury. And there's one thing all three of us strive for, as being the toughest, being the meanest, being a winner, and coming on top every single time. As I promised the Midnight Express, I'll cover their backs if they cover mine, and all I gotta say is you are two tough cookies, and I'm one tough cookie who can cover your back. All right. Midnight Express! Dr. Death! The Road Warriors! Freebirds! The Mullins! You ain't got a chance in hell to beat us! See, the one thing that we all got in common, one time or another, you gotta jump our backs from behind! But you didn't get the job done because we're all standing right here. And today, you're all going to pay the warrior way. Tell them, Hawk. Right difference between us and every other stinking man on this planet is, is this. Some wrestlers get beat up by a single individual. And they're out for months. Well, five of them waylaid us. Took me out of the stretcher. While I wasn't even out a week, when we get done with you, we're going for family members, boys. And here it is, War Games. So Hawk's back. Everyone's back, and we're, we're ready to go, man. I'm excited, man. This is going to be awesome. First time ever for me with context, to be honest with you, and that's that's huge for this match anyway. It really is, because... Things mean more when you're watching in the spots and the psychology used here. It's going to mean a whole lot more going in here. And honestly, you know, I've never watched 89 this in depth as we have every pro and worldwide and power hour and main event and world championship wrestling, just every single show. We've seen every single little thing that's that's out there. And it just means it makes everything mean so much more here as the Samoans come down to bad street. <laughs> never thought I'd see that. <laughs> It's kind of like that. Um, I can't remember. It's been a long time. You know, February. That that angle that they shot. I think it was the Road Warriors on Championship Wrestling. That syndicated show that they had on Saturday that went away in February. Um, where they busted the dude. Was it the Varsity Club? I think it was the Varsity Club. Where they busted him in the back with the announce table or whatever. Yeah. And they came out like, like those are the things that we pick up on and see that I've never seen before. Because back then, man, these these recap videos and highlight feuds and, and, and things like that, you just didn't get it. You had yeah, to watch Remember TV the narrative that's been out there on the internet? The narrative that's been out there on the internet for more than 20 years is that Lex Luger's heel turn was abrupt. It came out of nowhere on Steamboat. And really, 
uh, now that you were able to go through 1989, you got to watch a lot of the promos leading into the turn. It was, you know, it was there, you know, we, we saw signs of it for weeks before the actual heel turn took place. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. And, um, that's kind of what we're trying to uncover here. The things that have forgotten that people don't want to talk about. Let's do a timestamp right now before this match gets going. We're at an hour and 43 minutes and 32, 33, 34, 35 seconds. And here comes the babyface team to the ring. It's what a motley crew. This is Dr. Death hanging out with the Midnight Express. (laughs) They don't look like they go together, but it works here. It's, it's, it's worked in those squash matches. Like, like I said, that spot, that spot that they do that, that went viral on Twitter that I posted, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just, uh, yeah. something about it just works. And it's like you said, out of context, and it may have even been out of context for me. The first time I saw, I, I, I remember watching this. I just don't remember the whole feud, everything leading up to the pay-per-view. So it was a little, it makes a lot more sense to me this time than it did the first go around. I guess I wasn't really able to watch each and every, uh, television program in the NWA anyway, back in this time period. So Got to see a whole lot of things that I haven't seen in years and things, other things I've never seen, you know, in my entire life. So it's been a really fun ride all the way here uh, to the Great American Bash. And now the, the Road Warriors just took a fun ride to the ring. But uh, the time for fun is all over with. <laughs> Somebody might get killed. The most brutal match in wrestling, right? It's a good thing Lee Scott is not in this match. He wouldn't make it very high on the backdrop here with the the, the, the roof on the cage. And he go through some... the cage. They figure out a way to get him through the cage, man. I don't even want to know what kind of bump they would have came up with. <laughs> he would have been the original mankind, the bump off the top of the cage. Oh hey, God. guys, I got an idea. Without the table. It's Lee Scott, so there would have been no table. <laughs> some moments <laughs> beating on each other before they even get in there with their opponents. And we learn at some point here, we don't even do the coin flip at ringside. This year, we learned Jim Ross mentions that the coin toss took place backstage and that the heels won the coin toss. And for those who have never seen War Games, don't know what I'm talking about. The match starts off with one man from each team. They go to a five minute period. And at the end of that five minute period, another wrestler comes in the ring and you flip the coin to decide how it's going to alternate. Is it going to be heel face, heel face or face, heel face, heel? Pretty much the heels have always won the coin toss. Uh, it's just the way it works. So that the heels always outnumber the baby faces makes sense. Psychologically. It's just, uh, it happens a little too often, but, uh, basically you start off every, uh, and after five minutes, the next guy comes in and every two minutes thereafter, they alternate heel face, heel face, heel face until all 10 guys are inside the cage. Then, and only then can the match end by submission or surrender. So there's no pinfalls. And basically all the way, the first 19 minutes of this match, it's just a fight. It can't end because you can't, the match can't end until all 10 guys are in the ring. So very cool. I, I don't know how Dusty came up with this idea, but probably out of all of the ideas Dusty came up with, this may be the greatest of all. Yeah. I mean, some of the pay-per-view names are probably right there with it, but overall as a match, this is definitely his greatest creation. And um, I think it's one of the most beloved, matches of all time uh it's just so unique so different and so special to millions of fans and millions of people that and here's the thing too it's so endearing that 
no matter what WCW did in like 98, 99, and there's been some train wrecks of uh, war games. <laughs> Starting with <laughs> the Shockmaster. Still, yeah, yeah, 93. Uh, you know, 93, 94 was terrible. Oh, I like that. Uh, 95 was horrible. Um, <laughs> 98, I have no idea what the hell they're doing there with teams at two. It, it just didn't make any sense. Um, but it's still never lost its mystique or its appeal or its, its luster. And um, that's why in, in, I'm glad NXT's kind of picked it up and reestablished its significance and things like that. But, um, yeah, just an awesome match. Yeah, I still like the uh, traditional rules of the match. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the alterations made, but I'll take it in any way we can get it. Obviously, there are things missing. Even in this war, we're not going to get any blood here in 1989, but they make up for it with some really good action. Look at Bobby Eaton already taking Ooh. crazy bumps, and he's got 20 minutes to go. <laughs> so sl- oh, yeah. Slow down there, Bobby. Not that he ever did. And look at Samu reaching through the cage. That's another thing. You don't want to get too close to the heel side of the cage. Yeah, I mean, usually they have that strapped down or it's connected a little better. But yeah, there's a huge gap where where you can you can definitely cheat and stick your hands in there. And what, what's weird is I'm wondering if they thought they were going to have blood and somebody told them no because the promos leading up to this they said five men are going to walk in and five are going to bleed things like that. The birds are wearing all white here, so like that would really emphasize the, the blood and, and really get it over. Well, of all, look at look at Eaton yeah. grabbing the roof. You don't see see Bobby going for spots like that. Often. Well, I get what you're saying, but I, I wanted to point out, I'm thinking out of all the guys in the match, the birds would probably be the last guys who would bleed. Well, either way, I mean, if somebody would bleed, it's going to get off on the on their gear and, and right. things like that. Uh, so it's still going to be a great visual. It would have been anyway. And look, look at Hayes out there. He's stalling without even being in the ring. Like he's being stupid over there with the fans and trying you know, to get some heat. Like you, you know what's funny here, and it happens early on in, in the in the cage match. If I if I remember correctly, there's a point where I don't know if it's uh, the very next person that goes in or maybe the third person that goes in. But Paulie keeps you know he's trying to throw the baby faces off, throw the fans at home off. He's like Michael Hayes is going in next. Michael Hayes, he's getting ready to go in next. And I'm thinking, even way back then, he's not going in next. He's lazy as shit, you know. <laughs> Shocker, you know, Michael Hayes, I think he goes in last for the team. But I just thought it was funny because Paulie's like, trying to throw everyone off. He's telling everybody Michael Hayes is, is heading in next, and nobody's buying that. I wasn't even buying that as a kid. <laughs> no, everybody knows what Hayes is by this point. Kid or not, <laughs> he's not. He has no always, interest of even being in this match. Always love that backbreaker. I love that oh, backbreaker for Bobby Eaton. It's great to see Eaton starting out. It makes the most sense, I mean, to kick things off with Bobby. I was actually a little bit shocked that Jimmy Garvin starts it out, but there are three free birds, so I guess it makes sense to start with one of them. There's the backbreaker again by Bobby Eaton. And there's no. This is 1989, so I don't think we get a countdown clock just yet. So we're going to be shocked, I think, unless the camera pans to the door uh, when guys start heading in here. Bobby slams him in place. I think this is be. It would normally be where we go to the top rope, but you can't really do that here. 
uh, at least not very well with, with the roof on the cage. Do you like it? I, I obviously, I'm, I'm sure you're a traditionalist, and you like it with the roof on. But oh yeah, yeah. I, I do you mind I, it with the roof off? I I, I do. I, I think I do because you get all your your indie guys wanting to do their indie flips, and then it's no longer war games. It's let's do see how high we can do flips. You know, I not a big fan of that. I, it, war games is always about war. It really was. I mean, storyline wise, everybody in there hated each other. That this was their Terry Gordy and the now we're gonna business is gonna pick up baby right here. Bam bam Gordy in there. <laughs> but it was just all about war. And now I think without the roof on the cage though, it's it's more well, now let's see how many spots we can come up with where we, we fall off the top of the cage or we uh you know can do a flip off the top of the cage and I know I sound like an old fogey or, or something, but that's just not what the, I, I'm more about the story. You know, I, I, I didn't need yeah. Steve Austin or Dustin Rhodes to do a moonsault in Wrestle War 92 for me to think that that was like a five-star, one of the greatest matches I've ever witnessed in my entire life. Like, I was drained from watching that. Yeah, there's Michael Hayes doing his stalling, doing, doing what he does best, doing some talking, Bob Eaton trapped across both oh, rings. Ropes. That is so cool. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think that's what people forget about war games in general is that all 10 guys have a story going on. All 10 of them have a rivalry. They hate each other. It's war. It's like a culmination. The bash tour, it was perfect with the bash tour. Cause you go on this countrywide tour, of all these shows and everybody and gets get the to pay a pay-per-view or, or a major, you know, arena show is what they did in the, well, the early years of doing this. And, uh, there's your payoff. You get that, Okay, I'm tired of all these cheap finishes, this terrible crap. I'm going to make you quit in the most brutal match ever. And then the story that's being told inside the match kind of coincides with all of that. And uh, I think that's what people forget. It's not just 10 guys throwing in a ring and beating the hell out of each other. There's a story being told, and this is the culmination of it. And, I think, uh, the, I think the issue people. is, you know, I think the issue is now with all the young guys out here doing their thing, If if they were – presented war games without a roof on there's two things that they're looking at and that's a oh there's two rings well that's different and then there's there's no roof so we can do do spots off the top of the cage doc comes in now so now we got doc and gordy in early i'm a little shocked uh that doc's in this early i'm not i'm not saying he can't go i'm just uh, shocked based on his size that we get doc in there now but it makes sense i mean we got gordy in there doc's doc's looking for revenge so this is where you go back to war uh, the guy Dr. Dust yep. been in a feud with is Terry Gordy. Supposedly, Terry Gordy attacked him. And jo- look at the, watch this spot here. Just oh insane. Eight reps, if I remember That's correctly. Strange. Eight reps, I believe it is. Five, six, seven, eight for a 300-pounder. Yeah, 320, I think Gordy was. I mean, I know Gordy's assisting, but it takes a, it takes a lot of strength to, to get a guy up there to begin know. with. Yeah. Dude, my kids weigh 40 pounds, and I do that to them. And it, after about six or seven reps, it still gets tired, whether they're helping or not. <laughs> you know, it's tough picking somebody up and throwing them. It doesn't matter how much they weigh. And he just did it eight times on a 320 pounder with a little help. Probably felt like 100 pounds, but still, that's insane. And you can even suspend your belief here a little bit. Like you said, you're surprised Doc came in. Maybe that wasn't the plan. And then he saw Gordy coming in. He's like, oh, I'm giving me some of Gordy. 
before all hell breaks loose in here, I'm giving me some of Gordy, so I'm going in. I mean, those are the little stories that you could tell in a match like this. Uh, I think, I feel like it's just like every other match today where it's just one spot to the next, and here we go. And um, some of them are really good at telling the stories. Some of them are, but nothing beats this. No, and for anyone new to the grenade or new to 1989 NWA and just happen to be popping on this watch along uh, on their Thanksgiving holiday or any other time, uh, we reference the reason why the Midnights and the other Freebirds are feuding, and the SST basically want to replace the Road Warriors as the the oh. kicked them right in the face, <laughs> Samu. Uh, they the the SST basically want to replace the Road Warriors as the badass tag team on the block. But uh, the Gordy and Dr. Death feud started uh, over in Japan, or at least the story goes. Kevin Sullivan had uh, booted Dr. Death from the varsity club and supposedly paid Gordy off to, oh. Man, nice suplex. Backdrop driver on Dr. Death, the master of the backdrop driver (laughs) there by Gordy. Uh, But supposedly Sullivan had paid Gordy off to attack and take out Dr. Death in Japan, only it didn't work, and Doc came back for revenge here in the NWA as a baby face. I think I will say though about the roof. I, I think if you had a cage like this with no roof, it would have been nice, but I get you want something different to look different. Cause man, it, this low roof can kind of hinder a lot of what you're doing. I was, I, yeah, I always liked, I always liked the spots that they were able to use with the roof, that, that press into the roof. Uh, I liked when a guy would oh, grab, yeah, yeah. grab the cage and use it to pull themselves up and, and, you know, use it as a a way to use their feet, you know, things like that. So I like how they got clever with the, the rooftop, although I could see it hindering things, you know, like with Brian Pillman taking the power yeah, bomber there, right there. in that suplex. I mean, it's a good point. And I don't know that I'm necessarily against not having a roof as much as I am how it would be used if it didn't have a roof nowadays. Yeah. Like if these guys were working and it didn't have a roof, no big deal. If somebody here in 2020 used, you know, worked, oh, here we go, Animal. Now things are going to get, let's, let's listen to this. Looks like Animal's getting, we'll, we'll wait till he's getting ready to come in. I'll listen. It looks like he's getting ready, though. But yeah, guys in 2020, they would just destroy. Here we go. This has been a really hot crowd all night, man. Just uh, they deserve this man. card. That road wear pop is a thing of beauty, man. Good night. Man, animal just uh, that shoulder block. Yeah, wow. that shoulder <laughs> cleared cleared both rings or cleared both pairs of uh, ropes there with that shoulder block on Samu. Animal looked like he was going for the spot over and over, and Gordy kept getting it in the way, so they had to readjust. And he still he still ended up doing. It. I was I'm very glad that he was able to get that spot in. Looks like Fatu is going to be up next. Of course. You know what's cool, <laughs> well, though? Like, you can see, we've seen Pillman earlier do that dive over the ropes. 
And like Pillman makes sense, but then you see Animal do it. You're like, man, Pillman did that early, and he's a small guy. Look at Animal; he's freaking huge and can do it. Like that just adds another le- level to how great Animal was and, and the Road Warriors in general. And yeah, he should be able to do that. Their agility was just sick, and because of the style of matches that they had, you know, you only got to see that in short bursts, usually in you know, in actually competitive matches. And so that was a really cool spot there, though. And we're down to Fatu and Michael Hayes on the heels. Well, well, now we're just down to Michael Hayes, but I was just going to say, obviously Michael Hayes wasn't going in next, so it's Fatu in there. And that leaves Stan Lane and Road Warrior Hawk on the babyface side, Michael Hayes on the heels side. And once all three of those guys come in the ring, this should be another five and a half minutes or so before all of them are in the ring. And only then can the match end, can somebody actually force someone to submit which just is a, an amazing yeah. Uh, idea. Yeah, because you don't, you're basically guaranteeing the fans that you're going to get all 10 guys in. No matter how bad they're getting beat up, they can't quit. Nothing can stop it until all 10 men are in the ring. It's just because you know some, some idiots probably sitting at home. Well, okay, we well have this match. Well, who's to say – Hawk's not going to quit first as soon as he gets in. Like, I don't want to go yeah. 30 minutes in this cage. I'm just going to quit. So, it, you know, some idiots are thinking of that. Dusty thought of it all. <laughs> yeah. And you get so many pops here, not just from the spots, but just from the, uh, the psychology of the heels continuously outnumbering the baby faces and then the baby face coming in and even the odds. And then they take over for, you know, the, the next two minutes, it's an up and down, up and down roller coaster, and the crowd really eats it up, especially here in, in this in Baltimore, man. This crowd is just tremendous. Yeah, it is. Uh, this crowd is, every time you've had audio, they're going nuts over something. And you didn't get that very often. Not no. like consistently for every single match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were, they were making, making noise. Five, you know? Yeah, they've been making noise since the beginning. And... Everybody on this show, though, they've given him reason <laughs> to to pop oh, yeah. and and they just really one good match after that. Really, once you get past the tuxedo match, it's just really great stuff. And I'm not trying to crap on Dangerously and Cornette, but that match was what it was, what it was supposed to be. But from there forward, yeah. it's just been great action. I mean, there hasn't been a bad match. No, absolutely not. There's been some sloppiness. You know, the skyscrapers had a little flub up there at the end, but the crowd covering for that and the wrestlers are covering for whatever mess ups they may have had. And, uh, this has just been a tremendous night of action, man. Yeah. What a pay-per-view. Paul Heyman talking and strategy with that, uh, Michael. <laughs> are we shocked that Hayes and Stan Lane are like two of the last three people in the ring? Are, are you shocked? <laughs> no. I mean, if, if you had uh, told me to guess who the last two guys in the ring were, I would have guessed Michael Hayes and Stan Lane. The only reason Stan Lane is actually in here before Hawk is, again, they're telling a story. Hawk just came back from doing the stretcher job. That's the only reason Hawk's going in last. They're protecting him. Now, Hawk's not going to tell you that, but as a fan, you know, an intelligent fan, that's what you're telling yourself. Well, Hawk just, he, yeah. he just come back from, from getting taken on a stretcher. So the story makes sense here. So even if I would have loved to have seen Hawk come in a lot earlier than this, and here's Eaton again working the, working the rooftop of the cage. Yeah, I just, 
I don't care if the, I guess I don't care if the roof is there or not. I just don't want to see this match turn into uh, you know uh, an acrobat <laughs> show or something. Yeah, that's, I know that's why I was mentioned like a cage like this because you got to be stupid to climb up there and do something. But the way WWE has it designed, they have the platforms and things like that that make it extremely easy to stand up there and do moves. Um, whereas this is just your typical fence that you go buy at Lowe's or wherever and weld it together. Yep, you and, can thank uh, Klondike Bill for that. And Michael Hayes in the ring. <laughs> We're two minutes away from the match beyond. And uh, it would have been a whole lot harder to do those spots off the top. I, I just yeah. think it would have been cool. Like, Could you imagine like the SST with the no cage and they just launched Bobby Eaton into the second ring? I mean, some of the spots that you could have seen that we've right. been seeing from the SST would have been awesome. Look at Michael Hayes. He makes sure to come in. Michael Hayes makes sure to come in and immediately hit the DDT on every single baby face in the ring. And I always thought it was funny whenever I would watch this, Michael Hayes on the outside, when he's getting ready to go in, there's nobody else around. And he almost seems shocked that he has to go in. I I don't want to go in. I don't want to go in, (laughs) Polly. Typical Michael Hayes. Just like Luger's uh, character reflects real Lex Luger. At this time, I think Michael Hayes' character reflects real Michael Hayes at this time. I don't want to have to do anything. Just pay me. I just want to get paid and have a party afterwards. Before and after, I'm sure. He's a free bird, you know. So we got to be getting close to Hawk coming in the ring, and that's when the crowd... We'll listen to the crowd again when Hawk comes in, because I'm sure they explode not just for Hawk, but... Because it's uh, the match beyond, as they He's call back. it. Yeah, it'll be all ten men in the, the ring. Two guys who don't, of course, the two guys who don't want to word tee off with each other. <laughs> hey, man, I'll protect you. You protect me. Let's not do anything. <laughs> oh, Michael Hayes and Stan Lane must be off in a corner somewhere then. Yeah, they were. <laughs> and there's the jab by Michael Hayes. I don't think he's taking a bump yet. Maybe he will for Hawk though. I'd have to admit. Here we Better. go. Let's li- let's let's listen. By these men, and he has waited to get back, and here is his opportunity. Clothesline off the top rope. He clotheslines Hayes, leaps over the top, hammers away at Terry Gordy with chops and right hands. They send Gordy for the ride. It's a double clothesline. Jimmy Garvin tried to escape. He turned his back on Hawk and started wrestling with, with someone else. I think he was trying to avoid having to take any of Hawk's bumps there. Hawk just explodes. Looking for revenge on all five guys. All five guys took him out. They put him on a stretcher, so it makes sense. Comes in looking for re- revenge on all five of them, and he gets a little bit there. Whoa, look at that. that. Awesome. Damn. Holy. Jesus. Like a torpedo. Hawk goes long. I don't even remember that spot. I, re- I know I, Animal always did that stuff. I don't remember a hawk doing those sort of things. No, I remembered Animal's spot, but I, I I don't remember ever seeing that from Hawk before. That was insane. Did, did basically did the same Animal. spot as Animal, only it looked like a damned torpedo shot out. 
Clear, <laughs> cleared both pairs of ropes from ring one into ring two or ring two into ring one. Take your pick. <laughs> what a spot by Tommy Young there. That's excellent. I missed it. Why the hell is he trying to jam it in? Paulie's Paulie trying, trying to jam to that phone in there. Oh, okay. And uh, Tommy Youngest comes and stands up behind him with his arms crossed. And uh, <laughs> Paulie didn't see him. So he turns around and says, oh, it's Tommy Young. <laughs> oh, what a nasty Ooh, bump. I think was... that was Bobby Eaton. <laughs> he was falling through yeah, the ropes into the other ring. Poor Bobby. You couldn't pick a better yeah. guy to work a War Games match than, than Bobby Eaton. Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton, probably the best the two uh, guys you could put in there. Yeah. Workhorses, great bumpers. Just perfect for a War Games match. They're psychologists and storytellers, man. They can, they'll figure it out and they'll make it look good. Especially Arn. Bobby Eaton's just as good, though. It's it a shame. Like, I, I don't yeah, want to and it's unfortunate Bobby Eaton didn't look better than he did or have a promo. Because with his talent, he should have been so much bigger. Yeah. I mean, you know, the promo definitely wasn't there. And Bobby Eaton wasn't really the uh, best physical specimen there was out there. But I mean, I can't take anything else away from him as far as in the ring goes. Hawk with a clothesline on Garvin. We may be, we may be going to the finish here. It's Hawk and Garvin over here. Most of the other guys are in the other ring he's looking for animal to sidetrack gordy there we go there's the neck breaker hawk uh, working over the neck of garvin now it looks like paul ellering's back i forgot to mention they took paul ellering out too hangs garvin and the hangman over his shoulder that does not look pleasant it's tommy young coming in i think it's our first submission of the match and tommy young that's it it's over and we have we have winners Looks like uh, the heels have trapped Animal inside the cage. And for That's some odd reason, we've got, we've got Gordy and the SST doing all the work while Garvin and Michael Hayes hold the doors shut. So, no shocker there. Dr. Death, look at the chair. Look at the chair. Hey, Doctor, Doc, yeah, Doc threw that chair up on top of the roof, and it's, the legs are sticking inside the cage. I don't know what they th- – doing nothing yeah I, I don't know what they think they're going to accomplish by he's gonna go up there and have a seat man climbing the the cage stan lane's actually climbing the cage i'm surprised at that but there's no way in guys not all night dude. yeah and you're right michael hayes over there on the side where the door obviously somebody needs to be over there so of course it's michael hayes over there where nobody is and now the baby faces finally power their way in because you have doc you have dr death and hawk ripping at the door <laughs> So eventually they're going to get in and they do and they run the heels off. So animal takes a little bit of a beat down there. I do know the SST continue to feud with the road warriors. I think going into the next clash and it's Gordon Soley talking to the nature boy for before the big fight with Terry Funk. Of course, Luthez and Harley race, but Rick, the question on my mind and on thousands of fans mind is 
Why are you returning when you know perfectly well another injury to that axis vertebrae and you could be uh, severely injured for life? Gordon, I've heard that question a thousand times, but I've heard it once. I'm returning because <clears throat> I only know one thing in this life, and that's professional wrestling. This has been my life. It's the greatest sport in the world. And the only way I'm going to take another step forward in whatever I do in life is to walk out in that ring tonight and find out just what my future is. Terry Funk obviously is going to be centering his attack on your upper body. Well, he'd be a fool if he didn't. I know what I'm getting myself into, but I think Terry Funk at the same time, in all fairness to Ric Flair, knows what he's in for. If I am 100%, if I am 120% like I feel I am, Terry Funk will have the fight of his wrestling career on his hands in a few moments. Terry Funk knows what he did to me. He knows he did not do it on a man-to-man -man basis. He did it when my back was turned. He inflicted an injury on me that almost ended my career, and now he knows that right here in Baltimore, Maryland, in front of the whole world, he has to do it again, or he has to suffer the consequences. Rick, let me ask you this. You haven't even had a warm-up match. Uh, I know that you've been working out intensively, but you haven't even had a warm-up match. Do you think your timing could be off? Could, could this be a problem? Well, I've heard that question a thousand times, too. I don't think my timing will be off. I, uh, I didn't think, and I, I was asked to wrestle several times on television, I didn't think that I needed a match with anybody but a main event caliber wrestler. And uh, I wanted to find out firsthand, I guess it was my own ego, I wanted to think that I was ready. I didn't think I needed a warm-up match. And we'll find out. Maybe, maybe uh, I didn't think this out thoroughly enough. But I feel that I'm ready for Terry Funk. I feel I'm ready to be the world's heavyweight champion. And tonight, I'm going to prove it one way or another. I know, of course, I, I won't get an honest answer on this because you're going to tell me you are 100%. In my mind and in my heart, I'm 120%. If I'm not, we'll know in about an hour. That's the bottom line. Champion, good luck to you, my friend. Gordon, thank you. Thank you very much. Ric Flair, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, getting set to defend that title against the former champion, Terry Funk. And now, Jim Ross and Bob Caudill. Gordon was just on tonight, man. The questions he asks, the realism he brings to this, like you said earlier, it just feels like a sport. It feels like a real competition. It doesn't feel just like another wrestling show. Yeah, absolutely. Gordon Sully is just awesome, man. I mean, in his spots, I think he gets, I don't know, like, it's just past my era as far as um, his commentary. When I watch some older stuff that he does, like Florida and things like that, he's just very monotone when it comes to, like, calling matches. I I just don't know if it's because I didn't grow up with it or what. It's just I'm accustomed to people like Jim Ross and Gorilla and Jesse, just more flamboyant, more more over-the-top selling type deal, whereas Sully's just, you know, to the point and calling the matches and things like that. And But here, he just makes everything feel extra special. He has that mystique around him as being a legend at this point. And uh, the, the questions he asks is just different than any other – interviewer and wrestling at the time look at all yeah. the cops he's gonna need them <laughs> the way the way terry funk has gotten uh he hasn't i haven't seen him get into any fights but i've seen him almost get into several fights with the oh, fans God. here over the last couple of months and uh they're escorting terry down to the ring here for this match i'm curious what the story is behind all this the There's lady pushing funk <laughs> They're giving him the one finger salute. 
There he is, right there. He's going after this guy with the Dan Severn mustache. Well, I will say, you know what, man? Maybe they saw Dan Spivey damn near kill that guy, that one guy. And they're like, man, Terry Funk has way more heat than Dan Spivey. We better get him some protection. (laughs) We got to separate this. They had a hot crowd. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, and we're all the way at the main event. We're two hours, and let's do a timestamp here real quick before this match starts. We're two hours, fifteen minutes, and twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three seconds into this thing, and this crowd is still as hot as they were at the beginning. And that's, I think, a lot of that is just credit to the really good. And I'm, it's always the crowd too that they, if they want to be involved, but mm-hmm. uh, it's credit to the show. I think. I mean, they, they've given them reasons to stay alive and and stay awake. Instead of putting them to sleep, but again, I, 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 the credit does have to go back to the crowd them, itself as well. It's always nice when you when you get a crowd like this. Ooh, I love the oh, yeah. the, this... the sequin sparkling dresses there. Very cool. Yeah, and I love that shower pyro, man. That is so cool. I don't care when Christian did it. I marked out every time. I, I love it. It looks so cool. It looks high class. It looks everything, man, and it just looks next level. Look at Ric Flair stealing kisses from everybody. Yeah, taking taking the ladies on a ride there, uh, and another one, and another one later. <laughs> that fan got a little grab happy on that girl on the left there. She's she's probably pissed, but then again, she is with the Nature Boy, so who knows? Yeah, based but on yeah, where I mean, they, they probably how it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's uh, they certainly help make this pay per view. And obviously they, they add a lot to the show, which makes it, you know, most people consider this one of the, the, the greatest pay-per-views in WCW history. It's right up there with things like uh spring stampede, 94 wrestle war, 92, which is really a three match show, but those three matches, man, they just, <laughs> you really don't even remember the rest of the card. You know, I, there's quite a, there we go. There, the, this is how you need to start this match off right in the aisle. Flair's not waiting. He's been waiting for revenge yeah. ever since he's been taken out. Flair's been out since the last pay-per-view, since Wrestle War, when he defeated Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> since he defeated, he's can't wait to get back in the ring and get going here. But uh, since he defeated Ricky Steamboat and Funk turned on him during the uh, post-match <laughs> promo, <laughs> Funker being the I Funker. Funk. Man, I the, love Terry Funk. He's in the crowd already. How how lucky one. were we that out of nowhere Harry Funk decided, hey, I'm gonna go back and wrestle in 1989. How how lucky were we that that we got this? It just how seems lucky om- we that we did Funk and Steamboat in the same year in the same damn company. Yeah, in the first half. And Flair's the lucky one because without them two, I don't know who the hell he would have been working here in in '89. But it works out great. You know, Funk took Flair out with that pile driver on the table. Flair's been out of action for. A couple, maybe more than a couple months. And this is his first match back. We're going to see if he's all healed up and if he can still get the job to funk with the chair. He's going to kill somebody. Better get messed with again. Yeah. What a what a night for Gary Capetta. <laughs> he probably worked more than Stan Lane did. You Stan know, Lane had no sweat in his hair at all, man. <laughs> he was in war games. Tommy Young, man, he's uh, been Iron Man here ever since uh, Nick Patrick went out to the mist. It's been yeah, Tommy Young yeah, every right. match. You, you was wondering if that's what it was going to be, and that's how it was. Oh, he doesn't care. He's getting himself over. Uh, 
makes you uh, alert that there's a, a shortage on referees. And if you're going to have two referees in the NWA, I, those are certainly the two I would pick from this era and even in the early 90s. I, Tommy Young, unfortunately, this is his last year before he suffers the injury. The Funker. <laughs> I love Terry Sellin here. Taking the best when shots is, from Ric Flair. Yeah, I don't want to get too far <laughs> off here, but when does uh, Randy Anderson come in? Is it soon? Hmm, I don't know. I mean, it's not too far off. I mean, I remember Randy in there by the beginning of the 90s. I, I don't really remember the exact moment he shows up. Good question, though. Randy Anderson was from the Mid-South area. I will say, man, this is how you start a feud. Like, I mean, this is how you start the match. He damn near tried to kill you. He almost ended your career. And you don't want to come in and have a, re- a wrestling match. This is what I'm. This is the kind of the stuff that I'm talking about with some of these feuds, where the, the, it's like a blood feud, and then they and they want to try to have a wrestling match. Yeah, and that's definitely not what we're going to have here. Flair is the one that attacks Funk. They start off in the aisleway, and we already know what Terry Funk can do here. He he knows what he's doing. So I, oh, yeah. I it's a it's been a, a fight from the get go, and that's. I'm sure what it's going to continue to be to the most part. I'm sure we'll see something resembling wrestling here in a little bit, but it's uh, probably going to continuously revert back to this this fighting between the two as, as Funk would, slaps Flair around. That's what I would expect. I wouldn't expect anything less. I mean, if you did what if you did that to me and I came back, I, I'm I just want to kick your ass. I don't care if I can hit you with. A 680 and and whatever else and 900 other flip moves. I, I just want to kick your ass. <laughs> I don't care how I get the job done. I just want to get the job done. You know. Yeah, and I, I remember this match being very different from any other Ric Flair match of of the entire era. I think it was certainly. I remember when I first watched when I watched the pay per view. I just um, it wasn't you know it wasn't your typical Flair stuff, and he hadn't been a baby face in in my era that I I mean that I can recall a, a baby face like he is here and now that he's turned uh, thanks to Terry Funk. Tommy Young trying to keep Funk in the ring. And yeah, I can't it's definitely believe, different. I can't believe we've made it. <laughs> We're in the main event. It seems like a completely different card from the, the beginning of the show, and I'm not knocking the beginning of the show. It's just everything's so different, <laughs> you know, throughout the course of the show, just so many different stories to be told. Yeah, it's oh, what a spot! Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> nasty bump, suplex on even the floor. Like when they're, even when they're trying to wrestle, they make it look rough. Like I'm not, I'm not helping you out here. That type of deal. I know that's not true, but I'm, it just, it just feels like that. They're, they're and you have to, and you have to believe Funk's uh, fractured sacrum has not recovered 100. percent I'm sure it's at the very least, it's uh, very bruised feeling, and oh, yeah. he's just out here. Doing it, doing everything he can. You wouldn't know it, you know, taking suplexes to the floor and things of that nature. Terry Funk's come here to wrestle, and you're going to get 100 percent from Terry Funk, and you're going to get 100 percent from Ric Flair. So, <laughs> what a spot! I love it. So simple, man. So simple. And I, you know what's great that really helps this match is the fact that. The last three times we've seen Ric Flair, he's putting on classics with Ricky Steamboat, like an actual classic wrestling match. Right. 
that's and what another. you kind of expect. And, and then you see Flair here with Funk, and it's like a complete 180. And it all makes sense. It's all part of the long story of Ric Flair in 89, and it, it's awesome, man. Damn. Funk with the uh, back injury takes a backdrop to the floor. Just, uh, yeah, I would expect sense. nothing else from t- Terry Funk. Flair going to work on him outside. Yeah, th- these guys are outside as much as they are inside. That's what I love about this match is it just it makes sense. They should be out. They should be trying to kill each other. Funk wants to, and there's Gary Hart, for those who didn't notice. Gary Hart was not the manager of Terry Funk up until this point. And then he randomly shows up here out of nowhere with Terry Funk as his manager. Uh, so that was yeah, another big times. shocker. What's that? Three times with that next step. That put that put a brace on Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> in 95. And put him out for a month or so. Put him in, uh, anyway. put him in black gear, too. <laughs> Funk humping the, uh, yeah. the, the uh, mat there. <laughs> Michael Hayes was just out there. I think he spilt his cocaine all over the ring. Oh, no, wait. That's still the powder from Paul E. Way, way back from the first hour of the Babe Review. <laughs> yeah, they didn't sweep that out. And uh, you might find somebody that argues, why are they trying to pin each other if they're if this is a blood feud? And you got to remember, the world title is still on the line here. So Terry Funk still needs, look at Funk doing the curly shuffle there. All over, all over the mat. But these guys still need to get a win. Funk needs to pin Ric Flair or make him submit to win the world title. The, the, the whole reason this whole thing started. And Ric Flair needs to beat Terry Funk in order to retain and prove that he's the better man. And prove that he's uh, back to 100%. Or as he put it, 120%. And Flair using Funk's own move against him here, the pile driver. Boom. Not the prettiest, but I love the story they're telling. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. I love how Funk's just like pointing to his neck, like constantly. <laughs> They're right, right back in the aisle again. Yeah, this match is all over the place. Let's listen to Jim Ross and Bob Cottle for a minute. Let's hear what they're they're saying. May the 7th. That's 11 weeks Ric Flair's been out of action. That's damn near three months we went without Ric Flair in the ring. It's hard to believe that we made it this far. And uh, honestly, you know, the first five or six weeks, Terry Funk really not just held his own, but he carried the the shows uh, to some degree, either in storylines and angles uh, with Sting or otherwise, and, and his promos. Now, the last few weeks have been a little little watered down as compared to the prior weeks, but he was he's just done a, a tremendous tra- job of keeping this feud and really keeping himself over for three months until we get to this match here. Yeah, he did a great job. I mean, like you said at the end here, it's kind of tailed off a little bit how, great he's, how good he's been. But, um, yeah, that first, oh, what a spot there. Hit him with the branding. Gary Hart distracts Tommy Young. Ric Flair has Funk there in the figure four and. Funk finds the branding iron and clocks Flair right in the head and 
And I'm going to guess that we, we might have gotten a blade job if I know the nature boy. Oh, yeah. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's on well, the booking committee, so I'm wondering if he's, he's the one who said no blood. Well, no, that's a, that's a Turner decision, but what? Flair's not on the booking committee yet either. Oh, okay. I thought he was on the actual committee. Not well, yet. He, he, he controls his own sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't think too many people are telling Ric Flair what he's doing here. Yeah. He's going to do what he wants to do anyway. And, uh-oh, this is the move that took Flair out the pile driver. Oh, man, and he takes it a lot better there than he did on the table <laughs> with his hands on the table. <laughs> he's taking no chances at that table. There Flair weren't gimmicks back then. And he sells the pile driver by putting his foot on the ropes instead of kicking out from the cover. Just another subtle, great uh, move there by Ric Flair. Oh, and yeah. Funk just grinding his knee into the side of the head of the champ. Such a dastardly move. What a, what a nasty oh, evil just... heel. Oh, here we go. He's pulling the... Funk pulling no, it the. That makes uh, sense, man, because he's just like driving it right into the neck that he's been working for eleven weeks. Or yeah, you know, now he's pulling well, the uh, protective mat up outside. He's going to try to pile drive Ric Flair on the concrete, the exposed concrete. Now he's got the what is that? Uh, he's got a rope there, a tape. piece of tape. I think it's his tape. Yeah. Tommy Young just here. He's doing the spot, grabbing Funk by the hair. Gets shoved away. We're just letting it go. That's the world title match. Gonna have thicker skin. Well, dude, it's 1989. It's completely up to Tommy Young on how the rules are gonna be enforced. That's right. <laughs> That's the trend of 89. Flair counters the pile driver on the floor and <laughs> winds up backdropping Funk into the thick area of the protective mat now. Yeah, I don't, that couldn't have felt good. <laughs> Flair landing right on Funk's face with his ass. I'm sure that didn't feel good. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> Terry Funk. If anyone else had done that, I would just shit all over him. <laughs> but Terry uh, Funk just falls off the apron over top of Flair as if he was trying to do a move. And because it was Terry Funk, it just worked. I don't know that that was going to work with anyone else. And Flair's selling it, too. Like It only works with these two, I would say. I don't know if another wrestler is going to be able to sell it off like Flair did there, but yeah, I don't know what the hell Funk was going for there. Talk about a front row seat, that little pipsqueak there. Jason Hervey gets to sit at the timekeeper's table for the entire pay-per-view. Watch this entire pay-per-view. Lucky bastard. Yeah. And Funk now continuing to work over the neck, the uh, formerly broken neck or whatever the story was when he pile-drive Flair on the table when he took him out. He's already pile-drive Flair, and now he's using repeatedly using the neck breaker to try and soften up the world champion. Man. I don't think there's anything cooler in wrestling than Ric Flair's blonde hair with blood in it. Yeah, he could bleed, just, man. He could bleed. Just so awesome. <laughs> I know he's gonna have a lot more going on later on after this, but uh like WrestleMania eight, it is it's just memorable. His hair is drenched in blood. 
it's something to see. It's a sight to behold. So Funk now with three neck breakers in a row on Flair. He's pretty much got him where he wants him, and he's working that cut on his head now, driving his fist into it. Yeah, this is just uh, really good stuff. It's been a fight. The whole match has been a fight. It's really never really look. I, Funk's done a few wrestling moves, if you want to call a pile driver and a, a neck. Oh, wow. Oh. Gary Hart distracts Tommy Young again so Funk can use the branding iron, but Flair grabs it, nails Funk with it, and Funk obviously takes a bump to the floor so he can't see him. And there he is, right on camera, gigging himself. <laughs> Very Funk. I'm sure they're both busted open now. From the branding iron. Shitty producer. What are you doing? <laughs> Cutting that camera. Exposing the business, damn it. And into the Funky ring post just to, just to make sure he gives Funky him reason to bleed. And what do you know? <laughs> Terry Funk's bleeding too. Just like that. Amazing. Shocker. Funk even went down on, behind the ring away from the hard camera so he could do it without <laughs> being seen. And the camera still cuts to him doing it it's great man it's really great just uh, how much uh blood enhances a a blood feud like this it makes it a blood feud these guys hate each other you know funk tried to put flair out permanently now flair's coming for some revenge he's made flair bleed here with the branding iron flair gives him a little dose of his own medicine and now it's just uh, you know we're getting to the point in the match now where somebody's gonna have to beat somebody we beat each other up Mm -hmm. And now it's like, if I don't beat you, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to go, you know, before you beat me. So it's almost that time in the match and Flair's just driving those punches into Terry Funk. And it feels like we're back in the ring now. We're the final leg of the story is what it feels like to me. Flair coming in, misses that knee in the corner. Uh Uh-oh, that might be a setup for the old spinning toehold. Looks like it might be Funk's pulling Flair to the middle of the ring. Well, it's not his neck, but Terry knows what he's doing with this move. Oh, yeah. There it is. The spinning toe hold. Flair, oh, he trips Funk up. Oh, is he going to counter? Yes, he is. Flair with his own figure four. No, Funk turns into cradle. One, two. Flair turns it over. One, two, three. How awesome was that miss spot right there by Muda and Flair? Perfect. Perfect. I mean, Flair timed that perfectly. Muda timed it perfectly. The cell shot with with the bump. That's the first time I've seen somebody take a a back bump off of the, uh, at least like that, off of this miss. Flair made that look like a a gazillion bucks. Yeah, he did. He knew. He knew he had money in Muda. He knew there was money there. And yeah, now Flair, Flair just song. looks so awesome now. The top he- top half of his face covered in blood, the bottom half of his face covered in green mist. Quite a yeah, sight. We'll see more of that. We'll see more of that at the end of the show when we get a close-up of Flair. But now Terry Funk, Muda going to assist him in a spike pile driver on the... Oh, Muda with a judo chop on Doug Dillinger. Oh, Doug Dillinger. He no-sells it. Oh, and a spin kick. 
and now he's out of there. <laughs> it's funny watching Doug Dillinger in there. Uh, Funk was trying to go for a pile driver there on the chair on Flair, but Doug Dillinger inadvertently saves the day, and now it's the Stinger who's going to really save the day. You miss his spot? You miss his cue? Or was Dillinger supposed to do it? I'm assuming Dillinger no. wanted it. No, I think Dillinger was just a prop here. Oh, yeah. Just, just getting the, getting Muda over and Funk over that they don't give a shit who's in the ring. They're not, nobody's going to stop them. Flair with that flying knee. Muda goes flying across the, the, the dead body of Dillinger. <laughs> you better get out of there, though. Yeah, at least, hey man, look at him sell. Dillinger's not moving. I'll give him that much. He took a he took a uh, spin kick to the chest and he's knocked out from it. So back leg heel kick. Yeah. Gordon Bischoff. So we've seen nine matches and now we're closing the show with four main eventers out here just beating the living hell out of each other. The show's still not over, even though it's over, and it's still not over right now. Look at Buddha trying to throw the steps into the ring. Tanner killed himself with those. Those steps are heavy. Those ain't those real thin aluminum ones that WWF uses. Oh, those are solid steel in the WWF. What are you talking about? Come on. You ever see John sure. Cena pick those things up? They look like they weigh 700 pounds. Uh-huh. But here we got Amuda trying to slide. Amuda's badass. He's coming back. No, he's thinking again. Now, I thought Muda was going to come in there, try to take Flair and Sting on by himself, but he decides against it. I know this. Yeah, I, just, I know this brawl isn't over though. That's the best part about this. Look at Flair. That's the best part about. I know they they fight again before this. Oh my God, Funk just whipped that chair in the ring. Could have fucking hurt him. Oh my God. Now here we go. Another fight in the aisle. That that got Flair coming. That brought him out. If you if that's what Funk was intending to do. Oh, uh, Dillinger's the, back up and working if, yeah, his job. Uh, he went from he went from selling knocked out to back up and no selling. Amazing. Hitting that hitting that concrete woke him up. <laughs> I almost out. wonder oh. I almost wonder if the uh the show was supposed to end with Flair and Sting in the ring and Funk threw that chair to get Funk to come out after uh to get Flair to come out after him to uh continue this brawl because it just, he really whipped it. And as soon as he did out came flair and they go fighting up the aisle. It was really fun. I feel like it's still not over. Somebody's got a piece of the piece of the lighting structure or what's going on over here. Muda. No, Muda's got a chair. Okay. I don't know what the hell (laughs) you, you, you got to admit WWF or WCW NWA, whatever you want to call it. You never saw a pay-per-view end like this up until this point. No, no, you did not. And this is, could you imagine the momentum they had coming out of this for the people that bought it? Like, how would you not want to tune into every piece of NWA TV to find out what happened? Like, how did, what's going to happen next? Yeah, we still got an interview coming up with here with uh, Ric Flair and Sting. But the brawl is back on for a third time now. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) This it's just nonstop. It's crazy. Sting with the chair over the head of Muda. Funk's back out. He's throwing chairs again. And the event staff have no idea what the hell they're supposed to be doing. No, they're not used to these things happening at the end of the, the show. No, they're not. Oh, he's whacking him from behind. There's a branding iron. There's a chair. People are hitting each other for real from behind. Nobody knows what to say. And Sting picks Muda up. Oh, man. Ultimate fighter throw there. <laughs> picks Muda up and throws him down. 
branding iron over the head of funk. <laughs> this is just insane. <laughs> branding iron across the chest of Muda's better get the hell out of there. Muda's like, where did funk go? And <laughs> the great Muda finally, <laughs> finally took it. Where's Gary Hart son? Oh where's, where's funk son? Just they, a, an electric way to end the show, man. Just awesome. Holy hell. I think somebody just got hit with a oh, chair again. Funk just nailed him again with the chair. Unbelievable. Oh, it's our, our fourth brawl. Our fourth po- post-match brawl at this point. <laughs> Sting like choking Muda with a belt. I don't even know where this belt came from, but there's a belt now it's, in play. It's one of those like, theater <laughs> ropes that like roping off thing. <laughs> oh, my God. And then he got the neck. He got him in the head this time. All right, I think we're finally done. I think we're finally going to get a promo here from Flair and Sting. And, and one of my greatest, uh, my most favorite images of all time is Ric Flair during this promo. You better believe I'm going to grab pictures from this and put them up on Twitter because Flair just looks amazing here with uh, half his face covered in blood and half his face covered in green mist. And he's pissed off, man. What a, what a story. And we'll, we'll pick up uh, some of the words from Flair here when he comes over. But uh, he's coming over now. We'll listen. We'll listen for a little bit anyway. Let me just say this. Anybody out there that had the privilege of seeing this? Well, we're going to keep her here. He'll be back. He'll be back. Yeah, he wants to get Sting in there. I haven't said thank you in 10 years. Thank you, pal. Now the bottom line is, Terry Funk, we just started, pal. We just got warmed up. After two and a half months, I'm just breaking a good sweat. So wherever it is, and pal, it'll be again soon. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to dog you until I wear your Texas ass out. Jim, if that's the... And I know the promo goes on. I think they come back. He gets Sting to say a couple words. Ow! There you go. Woo! (laughs) But uh, they're just getting started. And that's obvious from what happened after the match. And how great, uh, whoever came up with this, I mean, how, what a great way to end the pay-per-view and continue the feud (laughs) at the same time. And you still got a payoff. So you weren't ripped off in any aspect. They continue the story, but we get a finish. Yeah, it was awesome. And just think, too, like you, they continue the Sting Muda feud, uh, even though maybe transitioning into tag matches. Just how about those, how about it for those guys? They're in a TV title feud. Yeah, it's Sting and Muda, but in '89, they, that's about as high as they've been. And now all of a sudden, they're throwing in the main event feud with Flair and Funk, and um, that's quite the jump when you got guys like Luger and Steamboat and things like that underneath. And I, I like you know, Steamboats. This is last night, but. They took one hell of a leap here, and they're taking chances on these two guys, and I can't wait to see more of it. Yeah, and I think this pay-per-view here, I mean, uh, more than any other, and they've gotten better, progressively better, but it was there was really no downtime to get sidetracked with other discussion. I mean, it was just constant action to where we kind of had to call it, or maybe not necessarily as a, announcers, but just point out things and just re- really enjoy it as fans. Uh, this may be the first pay-per-view from beginning to end that I really was just focused on the actual video in front of my face where sometimes maybe I, I 
during certain spots of the show, I, I might go off into a tangent about something else. I, you just couldn't do it here. They wouldn't allow you to do it. No, it was nonstop. Even like you said earlier, even the bad was decent. Like Bill Irwin even had a good match tonight with Pillman and uh, nothing stunk. Oh, look at that spot, man. What that a, miss was perfect. miss to the face. What a great way to end the show, too, to replay the miss spot and Funk and Muda attacking. That means Dillinger's on his way <laughs> into the ring here. Uh, <laughs> you can see that again. Judo chop and then the, the spin kick. But, yeah, man, it's just um, – what what, uh, You know, before we started the pay-per-view, I looked at it, and believe me, it's one of my favorite pay-per-views, but I looked at it, and it's two hours and roughly 45 minutes, and I said, damn, three hours, that's a – a long time to, and I know we've done it before, but that's just a long time to sit down and, and call anything. But it just flies by when it's so damn good. Yeah, and I will say, man, from with the context being in place now and being able to know the stories leading into this show and then now watching this show, it's by far one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Definitely I mean, you could take your pick between that and maybe Spring Stampede 94. There's a bunch of craziness on that show. Right. But I think top top to bottom, I think this one, with just just because of the stars involved, like the, the even the Freebirds, they have a huge name. Sting, Muda, Flair, Funk, like 94 can't touch that. Even Luger and Steamboat and those guys. I mean, there's just so many, so much talent on this card all of them delivered and they had the best crowd that they could ask for. Like if you want to pay a crowd to be a crowd, I'm paying for that one because that's, <laughs> that's how you be a fan and appreciate what you're seeing without trying to be the show. Like you get a lot today and uh, it was just all around an excellent show. top to bottom. I had a blast. Yeah. I mean, where else can you get a two ring battle Royal and a war games on the same show? And those aren't even like your big matches and not to disrespect all the guys in war games. But it's like you said, just uh, Steamboat and Luger, Sting and Muda, <laughs> Flair and Funk. I mean, and then we get the the, the storyline at the end of the show, which basically tells you, hey, this is going to continue. And it does continue, uh, at least in the Halloween Havoc, as far as uh, the tag team feud goes anyway. And and beyond that, with Flair and Funk into the I Quit match in November, which I can't wait to do. But, uh, you know, we got a long way to go still. But we've come a long way at the same time, man. And I just... I had a great time, and that is the first time in a very long time that I've made it through the entire pay-per-view, watched any, really, uh, pay-per-view uh, from 89 until since we've been doing these watch-alongs. This is the first time I've seen any of them in quite a while, but I, I've always enjoyed the bash. My opinion hasn't changed one bit. Still one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time. Yeah, it quickly jumped to the top of my list. Uh, I, I kind of tied shows times of the month or the year so like uh with the we're, we're right at thanksgiving so survivor series 89 is definitely on the list i think in july i'm about to start throwing these uh that great american bash on and enjoy it because it's i know we did a good job i don't want to toot our own horn but you're going to enjoy this show a million times more when you can hear that crowd all night and just really eating up everything they're doing i think that's that's just going to add another layer yeah, I, I kind of watch it again without with the with the audio on. Yeah, I'm that's sure that that's the only downside I think to this particular pay per view. The other pay per views, I don't necessarily need to encourage you guys to go back and watch it without our our doing the watch along the voiceover work or whatever. But here on this show, between the great job that Jim Ross and Bob Cottle do the entire show 
And then on top of that, that cr- the crowd through the out throughout the entire show. I mean, you heard them. You heard them at the beginning. You you heard them during the Sid match. You heard them all the way here at the end during the brawl at the end. I, it's just a, a masterful, masterful piece of wrestling history. It's the Great American Bash '89. And Steve, man, I gotta thank you for uh, hanging out with me this time and watching one of my favorite shows of all time. And I gotta thank you for hanging out with me and calling the action the way we saw it. And I'm I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, it was a blast, man. I just want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving with, with you and your family. Plan on doing the same myself. And enjoy your food and football and everything else you do. And it's fun, man. I can't wait to do it again. Absolutely, man. And we'll be back pretty soon with the next two weeks because this just never ends, Steve. And not until the end of the year anyway. So we'll be back. We'll be uh, finishing up the month of July and kicking off the month of August in our next episode of The Grenade. And until then, I want to say, uh, wish you and everyone else at home also a happy Thanksgiving.